Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Blenders, and welcome to episode number 81 of Real Blend, a podcast that's no longer part of the MCU. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and uh, we're going to get to that. Believe me, guys, there's a lot to discuss. Are you okay? No. No, I'm I don't, not. I don't, I don't feel so good, Mr. O'Connell. <laughs> no. I, uh, I saw there, someone tweeted that out. It made me laugh. Not really. God, there's really so sad. many good memes. There's so many good memes yeah. about him just holding on to Tony saying, I don't want to go. I don't yeah. want to go. <laughs> I aired that clip uh, on air this morning. That's how we started out the segment with him. And we said, God. and just like that, he's gone. Well, but it, it is he. That's the question. Like, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, my name is Sean O'Connell, managing director here at Cinema Blend, lifelong Spider-Man fan, uh, devastated MCU fan right now, and I'm joined, as always, uh, on the Real Blend podcast by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago, not Charlotte. Not the Charlotte. The city of Chicago. Hi, Jake. So that, wouldn't that be cool if we were neighbors? It'd be amazing. Yes, absolutely. It'd be great if you worked for Fox down in here. I think you should just apply. Send them your, uh, send them your reel, because there's no way we can afford to have Big Daddy Kevin, Kevin McCarthy from Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. down here. He's, uh, I wish you guys could see Kevin. He's got this amazing shining hat on. It's the twins. And weirdly enough, only a hat. Yes. (laughs) He's naked otherwise. (laughs) So I I, I was, I found this hat and my only complaint about it, I I just wish it didn't say the shining. I wish it was just the two girls. Oh, Um, what does it say? Oh, it says the shining underneath the shining underneath the two girls in the hallway, which by the way, um, and I, I, and this is a total, um, different topic, but I, I do hopefully, hopefully we'll get an answer soon from Mike Flanagan. I don't know if this has already been discussed. Actually, Sean, you might have already mentioned this about how much of the original Shining stuff was reshot um, for his movie, but we'll get to that when we get to the film. But I was just curious about that the other day when I watched the Dr. Sleep trailer again. I'm like, how much of those Danny shots of him riding that bike and and the two and, and the hallway and the blood elevator was redone. I want to know. I just want to know that. Do you know who can answer that question for you right I, now? But, I, but are we allowed to say that that person's even seen things? No, that, we can't just yet. Yeah. But well, that's getting that cut out of the podcast. Visit, that set visit is being lifted. The embargo is being lifted next week, though. So starting oh, wow. next week, we will be able to talk about the fact that someone we know who might be listening right now. Has been to the set of Doctor Sleep, and uh, actually, I think we can say it's Gabe. It's Gabe. Yeah, we can say that. That I mean, it's not a, it's not under embargo that he went. He's he's allowed to talk about the fact that he went. That's why he, he hasn't spoken on this it. podcast yeah. in two years because he's been under. <laughs> starting next week, he'll start talking on a regular basis. We will never be able to shut him up at all. So anyway, or, or he just chews too much gum. 
Yeah, that, that was that was an odd. Um, none of us chew gum on the podcast. Uh, someone sent us a really nice review, which will transition us into reviews. And one thing that they mentioned at the very end of the review is that the only thing that bothers them is that they had to listen to one of us chew gum the entire time, which struck <laughs> us as odd because none of us chew gum while we're doing the podcast. So it makes me think something's wrong with their hearing. Like maybe they or, hear people chewing gum all the time. There's not anything wrong with us. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> no, I think Gabe, uh, so Gabe edits all of our shows. I think he just, right. for an hour and a half, chews gum and then drops that underneath our audio just to give that, like, <laughs> effect, right? Like, it's and this bad. guy. Let's be fair. That would not be the worst audio that has been exchanged on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true. This is, this right. is kind of like Jordan Peele dropping Easter eggs into his movie. This is the way uh, that Gabe has created the Gabe Cinematic Universe. Like, every uh, podcast is actually part of Gabe's world. I want to shout out, uh, Brian. this is from Brian Davis, someone who uh, hit me up on direct message on Instagram, who really enjoys the show a lot and sent a very long review and then said that we didn't have to read it on the on the podcast, but it was really a beautiful review and, um, and he's a very big fan of the show and we're really happy that he listens to us. He just thinks one of us chew gum. I'm going to blame, yeah, I, let's choose to blame Gabe for the gum Gabe. chewing. The other Thank official you. review. So a lot of you guys, we've been getting a lot of great support. With reviews from people who listen to the to the show on Apple Podcasts, we're definitely going to get to more of these in the upcoming episodes, but I swear we got seven new ones this week. And so <laughs> we can't, as much as I've promised that we will read reviews at the top of each show, we can't read seven. Like, that's just gratuitous. Uh, and we do enough back padding on this show, believe me. But um, we're going to pick one out. And I will let you guys know as you leave the reviews on the uh, on the Apple podcast, or if you email them to us at realblend at cinemablend.com, we will respond back to everybody. Uh, we're going to continue to grow out the Blender community. Use the social media. Uh, there's people, there's a welcome wagon on Twitter, basically, of people who will... Um, who will welcome you to the Real Blend family? People, someone asked, they were like, "How can I join Real Blend?" Like, it's not like a, it's not like a sign up thing. Like, you're just you're you're a member of the family. You listen to the show. Like, you support us on social media and you interact with us. Um, so, if you're asking how do I join, you've already joined. That's the beauty of that thing. So, and send us a review when you get a chance, like this person did, Bossman sixty nine ioi. Um, is that the uh, Ready Player One guys? Are they IOI? Yeah. Is that what that's a reference to? Yeah, yeah it's Ben okay. Mendelsohn's sure. uh, team. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, this is Bossman69, IOI, who says, best movie podcast ever. Wow. Real Blend. Yeah, ever. Um, Real Blend is the best movie podcast ever. All four guys, yes, Gabe should always be included, <clears throat> are not only knowledgeable about many cinema-related subjects, but the passion is clear. As a couple of wise men once said, quote, Passion is the most important thing, end quote. The show is always filled with fun facts and laughs, but also a wide range of diverse thoughts. None of the guys have the exact same feelings about the movies, so it helps keep the conversation lively. Real Blend is also one of the few podcasts out there that understand community engagement. There's everything we're saying. The listeners are not only included into the show, but have their outlooks respected too. If you love or even just like the world of film, then subscribing to this podcast is one of the best things that you can do to your life, to the best things you can do to your life. The talent and love that these guys have in their industry makes me want to become a famous director so I can get interviewed by them. Only <laughs> one thing left to say, not solo name scene because no one deserves that. Uh, then in all caps, Dark Knight Rises. Oh wait, that's not right. All capital Dunkirk. When we get Nolan on the show, 
We've said this already, right? Like, we have to get him to say Dunkirk as loud as he can. I, I know just don't we, think it's going to be that loud. You don't think so? No. It'd be like a subtle whisper. I don't think he's ever raised his voice in his entire life. <laughs> I want to see if he's yelled at his kids. That's what I want to ask him. Have you ever had to discipline your children, Mr. Nolan? He's got kids, right? Chris Kevin. Nolan? Yeah, yeah, Chris oh, Nolan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris Nolan has kids. Chris Nolan, um, that's why Interstellar is his best movie, because Chris Nolan, Interstellar mm. was actually the movie that he kind is of- Is it, though? Uh, it, well, in my opinion. Um, but- I believe Interstellar was actually a film, in my opinion, the first time he had ever like truly emotionally grabbed me. I've always I was always blown away by his uh, visuals and storytelling, but emotionally, Interstellar was the one that hit me, and that's also the one that I think was written based around his kids and or was somehow connected emotionally to his daughter. Uh, I need to double check that, but I know that there was a some type of family kid connection to the Interstellar story. I mean, if you think about it, McConaughey goes to space. Misses his kids growing up for a long period of time. I would imagine that Nolan being a father uh, connected with that. I would imagine so. Kevin, I recorded a uh, a ranked. I ranked the films of Christopher Nolan, the ten films of Christopher Nolan, for a video that's going up on Cinema Blends YouTube page in a day or two. Gabe, when is that going up? Today? Tomorrow? The next day? It's not sure. Somewhat? Yeah, it's being cut together right now. I will. I'm going to send you the link as soon as it goes live, and I really want to hear your thoughts on my order. So you go from what do you go from least favorite to most favorite? In the, yes, in the, correct. Okay, okay. Yes. so yeah. Inter- Interstellar will be your will be your least favorite. Clearly, no, it's not. No, oh, it's not. Okay, no, okay. No, 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 no. But it it is in the back half. It and should again, be number one. Yeah. When someone uh, when when I was asked about the order, like uh, I got to what was it? Which one? Um, Insomnia, which is like six. I think was that six. And I was like still saying really nice things about it. And she was like, well, how come it's not any higher? And I was like, because one through five are like masterpieces. Like, you'll see. Like, Nolan just has that many good films. That it's like ranking Tarantino's, like, just because just the movie's in the back half. Precisely. It's still an amazing film. It's just in the back yeah. half. You'd watch any of them before yeah. that. So, all right, news. We're going to get the news because there's uh. been... Like, yesterday was an insane day. I'm afraid to really take a nap today because I took a nap yesterday and I woke yeah. up and the world's on fire. Yesterday was a great day to be on Twitter because not only was it like reacting to so two of the biggest stories of at least August (laughs) and and potentially of the year dropped yesterday. Uh, And it depends on how they all shake out. But Twitter was a lot of fun because first it was reaction just initially to everything happening. And then after that, it was um, the humorous posts that sort of drop after it. This sort of kicked off with. Slight news, and then we'll get into the bigger stories as we go. Uh, the James Bond movie has a new title. Did you guys see the title for the new James Bond? No Time I to did. Die. I Any did. interest in that? I, I like it. I think it's. I think Do it's you? old school. Uh, old school Bond. It okay. sounds like a James Bond title. I mean, honestly, yeah. that that's when I saw. I mean, I think it's cool because first of all, um, the reason why I'm excited about this one is because Kerry Fukunaga. I mean, like that's mm. when it comes down to these Bond movies now, it's, it's, it's what director's attached to it. Like when Danny yeah. Boyle was attached, I was excited. I know that he fell off. Um, and I understand his reasonings. Uh, but you know, Sam Mendes did such a brilliant job on Skyfall that I'm just so interested to see what Kerry does. And I mean, people, he's a phenomenal storyteller. If the first season of true detective, I always go back to that six minute tracking shot with um, McConaughey and it's just, you know, that to me excites me. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if he's going to do some long takes of action title wise. I mean, it just sounds like a Bond movie. I mean, it sounds like a perfect fit. And the font too, the font that was in the, uh, the title reveal, I thought was very, 
Bond-esque. Um, and can, I, can we give a shout out to Mike Ryan, by the way, for his amazing tweet about this movie title? Um, <laughs> what was can, it? I, can, can I read this tweet? Uh, do you guys sure. mind? Because I, I, no? I, I thought that this tweet was so funny. I mean, here's the thing. It's clearly kind of mocking and joking about the titles of James Bond movies. But all right, here it is. This is in quotes. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Well, there's no time to die. Then, Mr. Bond, you will die another day. Which day? Tomorrow. No, tomorrow never dies. Well, <laughs> Mr. Bond will have to agree to, li- to live and let die. Moonraker? What? That, that, that's the tweet. They, I thought that was really funny. Get, they do get a little repetitive. <laughs> I mean, that is like that so funny to read because it is. I mean, that's it's funny because like I still love the, that it's Bond style, but it like Skyfall to me was was as that movie was also a departure from um, the Bond style, I think, in my opinion. Wait, have there, besides GoldenEye and, and, and Skyfall, uh, I could be wrong, forgive me, I'm not the biggest Bond fan on the planet, what other single titles were there Spectre. in the Bond franchise? Okay, Spectre. Oh. Octopussy. Octopussy, okay. Moonraker, Moonraker, Goldfinger, okay. Thunderball. Okay. GoldenEye. Yeah. There's a um, bunch. So there's a bunch. There's a bunch. So, the, so the single uh, title Post thing. today put out a, a ranking of all like of the 25 titles from best to worst. Do you guys know what number one was? Or can you guess what number one was? I'll, uh, never I, say never again. Was before, it never say never again? No, it was, it not. was not. Kevin, ah, uh, before I guess, I want to uh, uh, admit that I have not seen every bond movie. Um, I have okay. not seen all 24 of them. Um, I have not seen all of them. I've yeah. seen most of them. Though. I mean, I grew up on my, my bond was Brosnan. Golden. I was my, Growing up, and then obviously Craig. I mean, clearly you go back to the Conneries and um, the originals, but and the Timothy Dalton. But I, I just think that there is. I want another guess after Kevin. All right, number one of all time. I'm going to guess it's a Sean Connery movie. Is that correct, Jake? Yes. Uh, okay. Now that it's a Sean Connery movie, Sean, you want to revise? Well, I think it's you only live twice. The voted by Washington Post as the number one Bond title of all time is, it's a little cheating, is Dr. No. No, oh. that's lame. But what that's I found terrible. interesting is the worst ranked title, Quantum of Solace. That's the worst movie. What are the worst and, movies? And the title makes no sense. They're, they're, well, Quantum. I think that's, they're, they're not ranking based on the film, they're ranking based on the title. And I think that's yeah. why, because the title makes no sense whatsoever. But the title, the title Doctor No, is stupid. Like that's like calling your is like they called Star Wars Darth Vader. Can I ask a question? Just the name of your villain. What the heck happened on Quantum of Solace? They had a writer strike. Yeah, but okay, I understand that. But then why don't you pause production, or do they have like legal reasons to get it out? Well, they had a release date. I think they had a release date that they were racing towards. And in an effort to, and this will come up when we get into the Spider-Man topic, um, in an effort to prove that you can do something on your own, they pushed forward without proper writers. And they had a a disaster. I wish those stories got more uh, coverage. I wish there was more attention to detail about how poorly those movies came out without writers when the the writer strike happened. Um, Just to kind of show again the importance of the writers and everybody involved in the cinematic process. But well, yeah, like that the, the one insane. Transformers movie that you're always throwing under the bus um, was also a victim of the writer strike. Yeah, and Bay Bay has admitted that he goes, I didn't have writers. I just, we had to film and, and hit a release date because once you start these big cruise ship blockbusters, you can't stop them. And when your writers say we're leaving, uh, good luck. You're on your own basically. So, all right, moving on to the next. So anyway, bond is coming into theaters in April, uh, on April 8th of 2020, No Time to Die, as Kevin mentioned, Carrie Fukunaga and uh, Daniel Craig back in the role. So, 
The next big story, and this is the one that hits really close to home for me. Disney and Sony, the standoff uh, ends Marvel Studio and Kevin Feige's involvement in the Spider-Man franchise. Now, I, I have talked myself off the ledge uh, and and firmly believe that this will get resolved because there's uh, there's enough time for everyone to come to the table James Gunn style and realize this was this was a mistake uh for the benefit of both sides um it doesn't benefit Sony to try to make Spider-Man movies without Marvel and specifically Kevin Feige, but even the people underneath Feige, it doesn't it doesn't behoove them to try to make a Spider-Man movie without their input. And it doesn't help Disney and Marvel to continue the MCU without Spider-Man. And someone said this today, and then Kevin, I'll jump to you. Uh, the, the reason why Sony probably feels like they had more leverage than, than a lot of us might anticipate in this instance is that Disney just killed off or Marvel just killed off their two biggest stars in Iron Man and Captain America, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans. And while they have other people who could pick up the mantle and sort of carry phase four and five forward, they were leaning on Spider-Man to, to help with that. And so they needed, you know, they need Spider-Man to be around for that. And Sony said, okay, great. If you want him around for it, pay more. And that's kind of where we're at now in terms of this standoff. But I think it's going to get resolved. Kevin, do you also feel this way? Well, I, I have some questions. So um, right. I, I understand Hopefully that I, have answers. I understand that we are this that this story is existing. I understand that there's a lot of details here. I still don't fully understand the the scope of it. So I'm going to play that dev, not devil's advocate, but the the um, question aspect of what's happening from a legal standpoint here. So cool. Kevin Feige and Sony and Disney, they all made a deal. We know that uh, to yep. share Spider-Man. So that that's already that's news. They shared Spider-Man. Spidey was in Civil War introduced there and then um, Endgame and Infinity War. And then the MCU storyline was able to continue on Sony's side because of the deal they made with Homecoming and Far From Home. So that's that deal was made. Now, my question is right now, yesterday, the news breaks. Kevin Feige uh, allegedly, uh, I don't know if it's officially confirmed, but I think it was through Deadline or Hollywood Reporter um, that he was not no longer going to produce the, the next two Spider-Man films for Sony, meaning that the question would be, would the MCU be affected and no longer get Tom Holland as Spider-Man? All right. So my question to you is the deal that was made years ago. Um, right. What were what was that deal money wise, percentage wise, and what were they fighting for yesterday? So I understand that it's 50 50 from what I gather from what we've been seen reported. And we do know that Sony was asking, we would think, for more money to keep on their end of the movies that they make. Is that right? Well, yeah. So when they okay. made the deal initially um, to let Spider-Man go over to the Marvel movies, essentially right. starting with Civil War, Sony was admitting Whatever we're trying with Andrew Garfield and trying to build our own Spider-Man universe, it's not working. Right. Um, and you guys, meanwhile, have been building a parallel Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's got all these great characters. And we also understand Spider-Man should be part of it, but we don't want to give up the rights to him as a character. Right. So you you can start using him in your films, um, Civil War and the two Avengers films. In addition, they would say Amy Pascal, who was the head of Sony at the time, was not even going to be at Sony anymore – said, um, Kevin, you're going to come over and creatively help Kevin Feige come over, and creatively help us um, with the direction of our franchise. Like, tell us where we should go. Help with the hiring of right. Tom Holland. Um, help us populate this universe with his friends. Help us decide which villains we're going to use. And the way that they did was to creatively 
interweave Spider-Man's origin with existing MCU characters, primarily Robert Downey Jr. taking over the mentor role, but then... Uh, you know, thinking about this, Mysterio's origin is very heavily rooted in in Robert in uh, Tony Stark. Also, you know, he's a former employee of Stark. He's been scorned by him. Same thing with the Vulture. Um, but if they were to make a third Spider-Man movie to go into theaters next year, say, I still believe that they so they would have access to Tom Holland. They would still get your boy Jacob Batalon. Uh Zendaya would still be uh, Aunt Mary Jane. All of those casting decisions would be in place. Where it starts to get dicey is. Do they have Mysterio? I assume they have Mysterio, but Mysterio would just stop referencing Tony Tony Stark. Here's where I'm confused. Okay, so the events of Far From Home, um, spoiler alert, people who haven't seen that. I got got messages today from people on the air telling me I spoiled Avengers Endgame, and I can't can't deal with it. Um, But that's why I'm just (laughs) saying spoiler alert now. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. So the end of Far From Home, we we understand that uh, Mysterio's... Motives were completely defined by the actions of the MCU storyline. Thanos, yes. Iron Man. Okay. Yeah. So then the yeah. movie ends. We are revealed that Peter Parker is now the identity of Spider-Man. And how is that going to affect the MCU moving forward? Theoretically, yeah. if this goes down the way we, they're saying it may go down. Again, this is yeah. not confirmed. This is all uh, based on reports. There hasn't been uh, official, official confirmation on this yet that I know of. Um but does that mean the next Spider-Man movie cannot even refer to Thanos, Iron Man, Thor? Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm confused by that aspect because if Feige is also what happens with Tom Holland's arc, if his arc has already been built in these first two movies, does the third movie then become a brand new story like completely no. start over? I'm so confused by this. I think it still continues along the storyline as much as it can. It just tries to not reference the other films. Tries to not to, or are they not allowed to? That's what I'm confused Well, that about. I don't know. That, okay. I, that I'm sure is still being hashed out. And I'm okay. sure that they probably never thought they even had to have this conversation, but now they have to because money is getting in the way. And then on the flip side of this, um, worst case scenario, unfortunately, which is why everyone's upset, and, uh, and I want Sean to dive into this more emotionally because this is, means a lot more to him than I think a lot of people that I know. Um, it means a lot to us, but also, you know, Sean's a big Spider-Man fan. Him not being part of the MCU. So, phase four, Sean, um, Spidey. Uh, I guess the timing of this isn't the worst at the moment because Spider-Man got to finish the arc of Endgame and then Far From Home. I don't know how, like you mentioned, I don't know how much involved he's going to be in phase four in regards to the Disney MCU stuff. I'm sure it'll pop up every once in a while if that gets taken care of. Um, what happens to the MCU in general does does then Spider-Man not be able to m- be mentioned can can Tony Stark well he's dead can anybody else not mention him anymore no I mean in theory they wouldn't mention him that's unbelievable they, they would lean into other films that are not tied to but now here's the thing about the, the phase four announcement we know that next year is Black Widow and Eternals so there's theoretically no need for Spider-Man in those uh, projects beyond that then you have um, Shang-Chi uh, a Doctor Strange sequel and a Thor sequel, Love and Thunder, right? So they've got the next few movies. But I think in 2021, uh, in the middle of that, Sony was going to be the one to announce the third Spider-Man movie. Right. I don't think it was a Marvel announcement. I think that would be... So we could have almost... And I think we still may get four Marvel movies in 2021. You'd have Shang-Chi in February, uh, Doctor Strange 2 in May, 
probably Spider-Man 3 in July and then Thor uh, 4 in November, but one of them would remain a Sony movie. But Spider-Man 3, theoretically, if this is true or if this occurs, does not count as Phase 4 anymore, right? Right, right. It wouldn't count as a Marvel Cinematic Universe film anymore. But in theory, if it's going to come out in 2021, in theory, they would start shooting in 2020. So, I mean, they would they still have some time to get this figured out by let's let's say what they need to start writing the script later this year. Like, I would hope that they were probably planning it already. And this might be what is empowering Sony to feel like. Well, we already have. So so here's I told you guys in the text chain that I had a really great analogy for how to describe how I feel about this. This is how I think is what's happening. I think Sony bought years ago a really expensive uh, sports car like a Lamborghini. And they were they drove it while and it was working great and it started to break down a little bit, but they didn't know how to fix it. So they just kept driving and they just kept driving. It just kept breaking and it just kept breaking. And it finally got to the point where the sports car that they paid a lot of money for, this beautiful sports car that they cherish, doesn't work anymore. So you have to bring it to a mechanic, right? (laughs) And the mechanic's like, yeah, I know how to fix all of this. I can get this back on the road. I'm going to get it right exactly where you want it to go. And they fix it and fix it. And then he gives you the bill. And you're like, oh, God, I have to pay this bill because I don't know how to fix this. The mechanic knew how to fix it. And then they got the car back and they paid the bill. And then instead of saying like, now I have this mechanic who can help me fix my car and keep it going. They ran over the mechanic. (laughs) Stopped, jumped in their sports car and ran him over. See, I would argue that now the mechanic is saying that I get to drive your car 50% of the time because I fixed it. Well, or he's saying next time you bring it to me, it's going to cost four times as as much. So, uh, first of all, it's a perfect analogy because now, like, because their money is completely involved in this situation. So, sure. uh, Sean, just out of curiosity, yeah. we, so we think it's a 50-50 split is what we're, we're, we're okay, understanding, okay. right? Okay, so here's the deal. When, when, when they agreed to the deal, they gave Disney 100% of the merchandising. Okay. So anything sold from the Spider-Man movies and Tom Holland and any all of those toys, everything goes to Disney. Mm-hmm. All merchandising. Um, the theatrical performance... Um, all but 5% of the first run grosses go to Sony. So if Sony's making 95%, Disney's getting 5% okay. and all the merchandising. Because in Sony's mind, it's still a Sony movie. It's a Sony character. Yes, they're getting creative help from Disney. But when now Disney's sitting back, or Marvel, Dis- Disney overall is probably sitting back and saying, oh, look at these last two Spider-Man movies that you made with our help. They're the two highest grossing Spider-Man films in the franchise. This latest one, which you made with our help, is the first Spider-Man movie to cross a billion dollars. It's also the highest grossing movie ever in Sony history. In Sony history. It passed Skyfall. Yeah. And so Disney feels, you wouldn't have been that successful if we didn't help you. Mm -hmm. And Sony feels, well, you guys have shown us the way now. Now we'll just go do it ourselves. And I just (laughs) don't think that that worked. I don't think that that could work. Maybe it could. Maybe they learned enough. From everything that they from all from spending five years with Marvel and figuring it out, maybe they could turn around and be like, but but I mean, in my opinion, they made Venom. And who, I know you like Venom more than I do. Whose fault is this then? So so Sony is getting 95%. Now Disney's asking for more. We and you yeah. think reportedly they're asking for 50-50. Is that what that, yeah. that, that, that's what we're thinking? So yes. reportedly, 
so I guess a lot of the backlash yesterday online was towards Sony, but I guess the question now is where well, is the argument? Where's the difference? I think 50 is, is, is a lot to I ask. Agree. And again, yeah, 50 is a lot to ask. I just feel really bad for Gwyneth Paltrow. She is never going to be able to figure out what movie she's in now. It's going to make no sense to her whatsoever. I I, I just, and Jeremy Renner posted about it, which is, I know we have to wrap, but Jeremy Jeremy Renner posted about it, which is interesting to me. It's almost felt like the Batista thing where he was posting about James Gunn. That's exactly it. And I wonder now, and if you look at, if you look at Renner's post, he tags everybody, Downey, every single person in the Avengers. And someone said, can this make a James Gunn turn? And I said, the difference with a James Gunn turn is those guys got super vocal um, in support of James Gunn. I'll tell you who has to speak up if this is really going to change is Tom Holland. Donnie, no, Tom Holland. Downey's Downey's out of it, though. He's out of it. Holland's not going to speak up. He's not going to get in the middle of this. He 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 made an Instagram post today, but it did not mention it at all. I'm saying if he does... I, then we'll find out if he has enough play to to move that needle back the other way. If he says, this is ridiculous, we just relaunched this Spider-Man character, he works in the MCU, why can't you guys figure it out? And I think it, it'll probably come down to instead of 50-50 split, maybe a 30-70, where Disney gets 30 and Sony gets 70, or 20-80 or something like that, I don't know, but it'll... I, I think it's going to work out. This is this story's not over. So uh, let's move on to the next topic in the news section, which is something that you guys are far more excited about than I am, uh, which is the announcement that the Matrix Four uh, is coming back. And I don't. Do we know when? Or is they start shooting dates, or, or really what it's about, or anything? They start shooting next year, so potentially a twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, release, or? well, it's interesting to me because only Lana, only Lana Wachowski is working on this one, correct? Yes, and so Lily is not. Lily's not Lana working is. on it. So what's inter- it's fascinating to me because I was I, I was actually looking at um, I know they're re-releasing the first Matrix in theaters I think for the twentieth anniversary on the thirtieth of August. Um, okay. And it's funny I was on the I was on my on the air today talking about this story and I I'm excited for multiple reasons but the sort of it is the Matrix one in my opinion in my lifetime besides Jurassic Park maybe is the one movie that I saw that I felt like I felt appreciative to be a part of it as it happened. Uh, the game changing aspects of what that movie did. For example, I didn't see Psycho in theaters. I didn't see Citizen Kane in theaters. I didn't see Exorcist. I didn't see these like game changers that everyone talks about. And I, I feel like in my lifetime, it's been a privilege to be a part of that movie, like to, to have seen that in a theater, to seen that game changing experience and to actually felt what it felt like. Um, the second and third Matrix films, I don't think they're as bad as everyone says they are. I mean, I know Jake and I talk about this a lot. Second one, I think, has some great action. Third one, I didn't particularly care for. Um, but I think those two films, were, weren't they shot back to back, if I'm mistaken? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, Jake, I, you just rewatched them. I did. Jake, Jake, and, yeah. and they, there are moments that hold up very well. There, the, the stuff that, that didn't work then still doesn't work. But I'd argue there are a lot of incredible moments, enough so that I look forward to sort of seeing. I mean, what's interesting is that the two main characters who died are the ones who are coming back. Uh, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is not announced to be coming back. I don't Jeez, know what that spoilers, means. Spoilers, Jake. My Sorry, God. My bad. Um, these are the same people that are mad that we're ruining Endgame for them. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if the lack of Lawrence Fishburne uh, announcement means he hasn't just he just hasn't signed on yet, or if he's straight up not coming back. I saw one fan, and granted, this is fan Reddit speculation, but it sounded really interesting, which is that um, it would still utilize the idea of bringing in Michael B. Jordan as a young Morpheus and almost treat Matrix 4 like a Godfather 2, where it goes back and forth 
you know, we get a little bit of a flashback to learn more about Morpheus and then maybe Neo and Trinity, maybe somehow they come back from the dead and Morpheus is gone and they're looking for Morpheus. And, and in the journey where they try to find Morpheus, it's flashing back so that we learn more about who he is. Okay, Which but that sounded it, really interesting. I forget how the third one's end, how the third one ends. Um, I have two, two questions. One, is there more story that seemed like there could be told? In well, isn't the whole, the whole premise of, uh, the the end of two and then all of three is that this happens over and over and over again. It happened before. Okay. It'll happen again. Neo is the one, but there's been a bunch of ones before, and there'll be a bunch okay. of ones after. Um, okay. And then, so my other question would be, isn't there just some way that you could say that, like, Neo and Trinity are part of the Matrix and they just get brought, like, they're just cybernetically brought back somehow i don't, well, I don't know their their physical bodies actually like like died outside of the matrix in the real world oh did they yeah well, okay. well trinity morpheus is still alive when when when, when uh revelations ends morpheus okay. is still alive um but yeah, neo gosh. was always a very christ-like figure so right. it makes sense that they could bring him back um trinity i don't know how they're bringing her back I, it's I, kind of amazing the camera I'm, looks exactly the same yes yeah too, so i'm yeah. interested because I think two and three were rushed because of how well the first one did. Uh, and I, I don't think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think the first Matrix film was made without, I mean, in my opinion, without a fleshed out sequel and third movie. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure there were ideas, and I don't, I don't want to speak wrongly, but I, I, I think those films were very rushed and they were put out because of how successful the first one was. I think there's got to be a reason why Lana Wachowski would return to do this. And I, my hope is that this is the matrix sequel that we have deserved, that we've been waiting for. And I, th- and so my, I'm excited because one, I do think they're going to put a lot into this one. And this time around, there's, they're not rushing to top one of the greatest action movies of all time. Like that movie's been right, sitting right, right. in its place for a while well, now. And I, I am also curious about the effects today. So you go oh, back yeah. to 99 when the first Matrix came out. The effects in that movie were revolutionary. I think I still think if you guys get a chance, anybody out there listening, if you haven't gone and watched like the special features in the first Matrix Blu-ray uh, or DVD, just the the innovation of just the bending backwards and dodging the bullets, 180 cameras or whatever it was, just going off one at a time around uh, Reeves. It was just it, it was mind blowing. Um, so I'd be curious how Lana's. Um, uh, how they will approach it visually now with when now that they have more tools in the toolbox to play with, or will they still kind of keep that special, uh, you know, that feeling of it being in the nineties, not as CGI heavy, but a lot of it in camera. I mean, I think that I'm hoping that they do that. I hope they don't go f- too much CG on this. What if they just said, um, it's going to be called the matrix and it'll be a sequel to the first movie and it pretend that two and three don't exist. Like Halloween. The franchises can just do that now. Yeah. yeah. They all just pretend to do that. Like Terminator. I mean, uh, three, four and five, they didn't happen. Genesis. Yeah. Do I need it? Do I need a new matrix movie? No. Do I, no. am I interested that Lana, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are back? Yes. Like full that, disclosure, yeah. like, I'm more excited about Matrix 4 than I am anything in Marvel Phase 4. Uh, I, I would agree with that except oh. for Doctor, Sle- uh, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange 2 is the one that it, so I if, cannot So if you for. were told you can, you can only see one, they're both playing at the same time and you can only see one, what are you going to see? I love that game. I, I mean, game. it would clearly be the Matrix. But well, then my, there like, you go. My, no, but Doctor <laughs> Strange is... 
I think Doctor Strange might be the most underrated MCU film to date. It's a it's an oh, amazing he's a film. Tremendous character. Yeah. His amazing. Has barely has barely been scratched. Amazing movie. Uh, okay. Derrickson's amazing. I, I am more excited for Bill and Ted three than I am for Matrix oh, interesting. Four. See, I'm, I'm I'm on the Matrix over that, no question. Yeah, B- Bill and Ted are tremendous. But okay. Bill and Ted, you probably you experienced Bill and Ted, did you not? In like oh, yeah. in theaters, so like I Matrix, did. Matrix was my Let's like. Go ahead and call Sean old. Why don't you? No, 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 no. I'm not calling I, Sean I, old. I'm I just also saying. saw the Matrix in theater. I got senior but discount, but I got the to Bill- see it. <laughs> what was the no, Civil but- War like, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Bill and Ted was a big movie for you because you saw it in theaters. Bill and Ted wasn't that movie for me as, as a kid. Yeah, like yeah. it was the Matrix. Oh, so yeah. like you, so you when you when you saw the Matrix, Bill and Ted was already in the back of your mind. I can't read. Oh. Wasn't really a big deal to me yet. You know what I mean? No, no, no. I've told this story. I've said it on the podcast before. I saw the Matrix the day I saw the Matrix. I dropped Michelle off. This is real. Jesus, this is really going to date me. Uh, Michelle and I were getting married. We got married in 1999. Uh, she, Her friends were having a bridal shower for her. So I dropped Michelle off the bridal shower and I had three hours to kill. Uh, That's right. With nothing to do. So I drove to the Matrix. Uh, this was in Silver Spring, Maryland. <laughs> Kevin. That's we're on recording I right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I was trying to think of the name of the, the tiny theater that was on. Um, AFI Silver, Majestic. No, no, no. Never mind. Anyway, I'm down a rabbit hole. So I went to go see it, and it down a rabbit hole. No pun intended. Ah, pretty funny. It blew my mind. Like the the scene with the helicopter and the 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 side of the building rippling and all that. It's just like. By the way, how cool is that effect? Like the wave of glass. Like that always blew my mind. Like even the shot. Like yeah, yeah. The the question I have is that why. Or did you just casually, as you're a movie fan, why hadn't you seen it already? Why did you just casually find time to go see it when you had um, a chance? I wasn't, this was probably still opening weekend. I think it was oh, opening okay. weekend okay. and we hadn't, it didn't, I wasn't reviewing yet. It was, it. Uh, I was just getting into reviewing and I probably didn't get a screening invite. So I went opening weekend. It's like, this was a Saturday of opening weekend. And then I'm back to pick her up and she's, show, she's showing me like all of this stuff, these amazing gifts that we got. Uh, that we're going to start our married life with and I'm come barreling through the door like an idiot and I'm just like, and then he got pulled into the thing and then he's like, he's like, I got to learn about fighting and the guns came through and, and she was like, oh, shut up, shut up, what is wrong with you? And I was like, well, this Michelle is, is such a lucky woman. Essentially, yes. And 20 years later, we are still incredibly happy. Um, This week, we are playing as part of the blend game, John Travolta blend and uh, Kevin... <laughs> Very cleverly said at the end of that. Oh, I wonder why. Uh, well, the reason is because these two lucky SOBs got a chance to sit down with uh, the legend uh, and the icon. And I want Kevin to go first because he got him first. And uh, and Kevin, tell us about your your day evening with John Travolta. Yeah, this was absolutely insane. So Jake and I were we've been all been texting about this for two weeks now. Jake got uh, John Travolta in Chicago. So Travolta's on a tour. So I, I know people like the behind the scenes stuff. So basically, like instead of doing like an actual full fledged press junket where we fly somewhere to meet and interview John Travolta, Travolta's doing like a grassroots tour, which is I, I always find that to be really cool when they do that when they uh, a star that is that big rare. Go, yeah, is that rare that big that they come around to your markets? Well, like Jake will get like De Niro or Downey Jr. in Chicago, but that won't be a market by market thing. I'm talking about like someone who's doing an actual tour across the country. I know Hanks did one, right, Jake? Yeah, I find that that you only really get big actors in your market 
usually in, in rare cases. One, if they wrote and directed the film themselves, in the case of Tom Hanks, like did a, a tour uh, before Larry Crown, or if they really want to win an Oscar, like Gary Oldman did a tour for Darkest Hour, or I think if they think the movie, if, if it's a movie they care about and they think it needs help, in the case of I had Ryan Gosling like live on my morning show, like the thought of Ryan Gosling live on <laughs> local morning news uh, yeah. blows my mind. So those are the cases I would say. And was that for Blade Runner? No, that was for um, First Man. Oh, so I think okay, he thought gotcha, it needed gotcha. help. So, gotcha. so those are the cases I would say a big actor will do a nationwide tour for their film. Okay. Yeah, and this is this was huge. This is, this is a movie called The Fanatic, which um, and so essentially he was going from city to city, and he was going to come into my television station live to do an interview. Which, like Jake just said, John Travolta live on your morning show is not a sentence that actually makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest actors ever with one of the biggest filmographies of all time, arguably in the greatest movie that was ever made, Pulp Fiction, uh, and you're. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. So I remember when that when this when this when this was announced, I got an email saying, "Hey, Kevin Travolta's coming in town." I'm like, I, and I I always write back with absurd questions like, "Hey, can he come in studio?" Waiting for them to be like, "No, we listen, we can't bring him in studio. We'll bring we'll have, bring you to a hotel. We'll do the interview there." Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, actually, we're working on this. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" So yeah, Travolta gets confirmed, um, and he's coming in studio on a Tuesday morning, and. Later on that night, they asked me if I would introduce him at the screening. Introduce John Travolta at a screening. <laughs> um, so, so that all, all that, so him coming in studio, and then the idea of introducing him was already out of my mind. I, I'm also I'm amazed that he's doing that. Even. Right, you know, so, like going right. by a, a, a word of mouth screening for his new Crazy. movie. That that Crazy. boggles my mind. Also. No security with him. He he had one person with him. There's no team. I mean, he has yeah. the publicity team that's working on the movie with him. But like, it was not like 20 people deep. Um, right, right. Like he walked around like, and he totally embraced it. So he comes in studio. Um, he luckily gets into our studio. I'd say 30, 20 to 25 minutes early. So somehow wow. I, I meet I meet them at the back door, and I walk them in. I don't know how this happened, but. We walk into a green room where, where the where the guests usually sit to hang out before they go on our air. We'll do a tea shot in there um, before they go on the air. And someone closes the door behind us, which is me, Travolta, his assistant, and the publicist in this room. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask him whatever I want to talk to him about. I want to talk to him about Face Off. <laughs> so uh, we start talking about Kevin Face Off. Kevin had him trapped for 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, this was the Fanatic 2, the sequel. They shot this uh, in, in the, in the, in the uh, green room. Um, so I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to keep calm. Now, I've never interviewed Travolta. I've ran into him um, at events that made sense, like he was at the Critics' Choice Awards, things like that. And I one time I ran into him um, in a hotel bar, and all I simply well, you said told to him that was, story on the show somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I forget what I episode was, it was, but you told that. All I said was I love Face Off, and he stopped for five minutes, and we did lines of the movie together. It was like insane. So <laughs> we're sitting in this room, and I'm like basically asking him anything I've always wanted to ask him about Face Off. He's telling me like a lot of the lines were improvised. The uh, it's like looking in a mirror only not, or uh, we good looking. Like like a lot of these lines were improvised, and I'm, and he was telling me that him and Cage. I said on I said, that movie blows my mind that he was even made. Like, imagine pitching Face Off 
two actors are going to switch faces that look nothing alike, and they're going to be in an action movie, and it's, it's going to work. So he was telling me that like the, him and Cage would ask each other all the time throughout the production, is this working? They had no idea that what they were doing on set was actually working. I mean, imagine the fear of that as an actor. And so, like, we're talking about that. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He told told me he went out to a local theater where he lived to go see it. Um, That was pretty surreal. We do the on-air interview, and I got to show him my wedding video where we danced uh, the Pulp Fiction dance. He taught me the Batman, the two fingers across the face. Talked about De Palma and Blowout. So the interview ends, he's super cool, talks about how he wants to do a Vega Brothers movie if Tarantino would have him do it, which blew my mind, because off camera he was like, how cool would that be if that was like his last movie, like the Vega Brothers movie? Um, and then I'll fast forward and then end my part. Uh, we get to the theater that night, and I asked them if, if he, because uh, they were sending a camera crew to shoot my introduction, and I, and I asked them for some time with him afterwards, because on the air we did the interview with the anchors, so it was you know, me and a bunch of different anchors, which was awesome. But I also wanted to talk to him one-on-one to, to kind of get some more questions about things I wanted to know about on camera, like Pulp Fiction. So we were outside this theater. This is the craziest part. We walk in this hallway. I introduce him. Outside the theater where, where I'm talking to him, playing 10 feet away is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So every time that, <laughs> every time that door opens, you hear something from Quentin's movie, which was Beyond mentally surreal to have John Travolta yeah. in front of you while Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is playing. So we do the interview, and he he let I said, "Can I go down some rapid fire stuff?" I always wanted to know. We talked about the the needle in Pulp Fiction, how it was a it was a reversible needle that 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 like bent it went inside the actual thing when when he went down. He confirms and, and that. He, he confirmed that? that in the interview. Okay. He said that it was not reversed. It was actually he went down oh. onto Uma Thurman's chest, and the needle reversed, uh, and the needle okay. itself flies back inside, right? Or tractable, okay. gotcha. I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said that. Uh, and then I know this is an age old question for Quentin Tarantino fans and the what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. So I set it up by saying, like, I, I know you don't know the answer to this. I know no one knows the answer to this. I just want to know what you were told on set. Um, what did Quentin tell you when you opened that briefcase? What's going to be in there? And he just said, all I want you to do is open it up, look at it, be amazed by what you're seeing. And then I don't want to discuss it with you any further. That's literally what he right. told Travolta, um, which I'm sure has been out there. But I wanted to know that I didn't know that. So I didn't I didn't I thought maybe Travolta had an idea in his mind of what it was or asked Tarantino. He still doesn't know. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. what he's told me. They, yeah, they, yeah. We're doing the interview. We talk about De Palma. He tells me this great story about what he learned on Blowout. Interview ends. And, and then he has to leave. He has to get to New York. This is like eight o'clock at night. And he's on GMA the next morning. Right. Oh so so not only did he stay for another 10 minutes and talk to me like he gave me like way more even detailed stories about Face Off. Uh, at one point, I asked him where the thing from Face Off came from with the hand. When he when you know the hand goes over the face like in Face Off, he took his hand and put it over my face like in Face Off. I, I flipped yeah. out, and he was telling me this great story about the ending and the test audiences. You wouldn't believe the changes that were made to Face Off and the General's Daughter based on test screenings. Like, it, oh, I like believe it. The stuff he was telling me. And then the coolest thing, oh my God, this was amazing. This last thing I'll say, and I will get, I don't, I'll get to Jake, I'm so sorry. Um, I said to him, as he's walking away, um, I, my, one of my favorite shots of all time is that shot we mentioned to Quentin Tarantino when you walk down the hallway with Sam Jackson and you do the foot massage dialogue. And it's like a 13-page script that was all done in one take. And he said, prior to that, I had never done that much dialogue in my life uh, in one take. And, I, and he goes, I had... Such a hard time remembering that. And I kept messing up 
I'm paraphrasing him, one or two words. Yeah. If you actually watch the take, he said that the take that Quentin used was was his best take, but still has a mess up. And I think he flubs one or two words in that actual take. Um, but Quentin said, just we're just going to keep it the way it is because it was 13 pages of dialogue. Wow. And then ever since then, he says that directors always give him a lot of dialogue to say because of that sequence or because of Quentin oh, Tarantino. Crazy. But I just can't believe it was just crazy to hear him talk about those little things and those little details that make those characters so memorable. I mean, I know people can go Saturday Night Fever and Grease, but Face Off, I think, is the greatest, one of the greatest action movies ever made. But it was, it, and Jake said this on his Instagram post and said it best. Like, like this guy, he doesn't really need to be like this. You know what I mean? He doesn't need to be this nice. He doesn't need to give me the time. This, 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 these were things that happened off camera. Like, he could yeah. easily put on a show for camera and be the coolest person ever. But to stand there for 10 or 15 minutes extra and talk to me off camera about stuff that I'm asking that probably means not as much to him as it means to me um, is kind of crazy, considering he has to get to New York. And then same thing in the green room. You know what I mean? I want to just quickly bring up to, and Jake, I know you've seen this, um, when you're with Kevin. When you're with Kevin in between interviews and famous people go past, Kevin has a gift for, for saying something to them that's so off the beaten path that it, it stops them and they want to stop and address it with them. Right. Have you ever, oh, I, I've seen it multiple but, times. What's funny well, is, is that moment <laughs> because usually what Kevin says is so batshit off the wall, crazy <laughs> that there's like a five second gap, which if you're yeah. there in the moment feels right. like five years because it's like, it's like he says it and then everyone looks up in slow motion. Like, what is he gonna say? <laughs> and we're all waiting. And ninety-nine times out of a hundred, it's a yeah. very positive reaction. It's, sure. it's it's a very fun sort of you know like um it's uh, yeah it's it, but there's always that moment where I go, what's gonna happen next? Well, what's <laughs> funny about that is that, um, so I want to clarify something. I don't I don't find obscure things on purpose to stand no, out. No, those, no, 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 no. But no, those, but those what, are things that's important to you. Well, yeah, it's funny. Like like if I walk into a room and say to Matt Damon, "Good Will Hunting to Hunting Season," that's just that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Matt Damon. So when I think of sure. Travolta, I think of Face Off and Pulp Fiction. Um, but it's funny because for actors, the longest time when you did Taco Bell with uh, with actors in. And yeah. then you realize, like, because it was important to you, but then yeah. when you connected with someone who was like, oh my, like Kirsten Stewart, which she'd be like, oh my God. Charlie Theron went Charlie to Taco Theron. Bell after our right. young adult interview. Like, she literally yeah. went to lunch and she got, I think she told me in the hallway, she got a, uh, che- a bean and rice or seven, no, seven layer burrito, extra sour cream is what she said, I think, if I remember correctly. But my point being, though, there's, there's a scene in The Fanatic where he is about to meet his favorite actor of all time and he's like, thinking about the obscure things to bring up and not the popular things to bring up. And I found that interesting because, like, I just genuinely want to talk about these little details. I mean, Face Off and Pulp Fiction are obscure. It's the things that I liked within them. But um, Jake got to spend a a, a career perspective um, with Travolta in a nice, awesome setting. So let Jake go from here. Yeah, I'm a little, if you can't tell just on this episode, I'm a little tired right now just because I'm, like, knee-deep in this Travolta edit. Um, which I've, I've taken upon myself because of, of, of a timing mistake that I'll explain. But yeah, I found out that uh, John Travolta was going to be coming through Chicago. And, and here's what I'll say about Chicago, or what I'll say about Travolta, um, and I'm sure we'll touch on it when we do the blend game later, is that I was sort of talking with a lot of my colleagues at Fox um, the, the morning that I was going to go interview them. 
And I probably asked about 10 different people. So like, what, what's, what's your favorite Travolta movie? And got 10 different answers. And there yeah. aren't many actors that you can really say that about. I mean, like, yes, I know right now you could say he's in a little bit of a slump. And, uh, you know, it's easy to kick someone when they're down. And sure, he's made quite a few stinkers in his career. But he has made some truly classic films, uh, created uh, been uh, some, some truly iconic characters. And he has been a professional working actor for 49 years. And there aren't when many people that, that can say that. That blew That's me insane. away. Yeah. yeah. And when he was like, well, I guess it would start when you first got paid, right? When you got right. paid to act. And then he was like, yeah, he does the math in his head. And he's like, yeah, it's 49 years. 49 years, like, which means he's been acting longer than that. Um, because he did the, the touring stage production of Grease. Before, I mean, he wasn't even Danny Zuko, but he toured with Grease. Um, so when I found out he was coming, I pitched doing this um, career retrospective because I thought he is someone that if I could get, at the time I pitched 30 minutes and ended up getting closer to 15, but if I could get extra amount of time, you can cover a lot. So I tried yeah. to treat it um, like a sort of an inside the actor studio kind of interview where I did sort of broad strokes, broad strokes, where I sort of talk about general themes of his career. The fact that in a matter of uh, five years, he had one of the most popular shows on television. Then he went to one of the most popular Stephen King adaptations ever. Then he went to an Oscar nomination for a Saturday Night Fever. Then he went to Greece, which is still the highest grossing musical of all time. Then he did Urban Cowboy, and then he did Blowout, like in a very short amount of time. So he talked about how like that astronomical level of success changes you as a person, how he sort of became the poster child for singing and dancing. Um, the 80s were not kind to him, So he, and not just because he chose bad films, but he passed on very big films to do those bad films. So uh, <laughs> we talked about sort of, you know, d- does he get hung up on passing on Splash, passing on American Gigolo, passing on Officer and a Gentleman, which was written for him, and he still passed on it? Oh, um, my God. You know, we talked uh, about how he spends an opening weekend for a movie that bombs, for a movie that doesn't do well. How do you how do you handle those days when you all of a sudden you realize that it's not connecting? So, you know, we kind of did a wide range. And obviously, we ended up talking about The Fanatic, which actually I liked The Fanatic. Um, Me too. And the, you know, the, and, but what's cool about it is that whether you like it or not, just the topic of it, insane fandom, it's, yeah. it yield, it's such a great topic for um, – for amazing conversations because for someone that's been working in the business as long as he has, you know he has such good stories. And I kind of noticed in a lot of interviews leading up to mine, he kept kind of glossing over this story about a, getting home one day 35 years ago and finding a young fan, a girl in his closet waiting for him in his home. And he told the story with such like, yeah. like a fun, positive attitude. And I was like, no, don't do not gloss over this. After? You got home and there was someone waiting in your closet. Like, t- I want to hear this story. Tell me this story. Yeah. So I made him tell me that it ended up just being a really, really fun conversation. I, I really kind of felt like it was it, it was just that. It, rather than it was me racing after sound bites um, in four minutes, which we often are in these junket interviews, and Kevin knows. Um, it, it actually felt like I was able to just talk to him, in some cases follow up on questions and not have to worry about, well, I shouldn't follow up because I need to get this other question in. Um, the reason I'm tired is because I pitched to his people doing this uh, extensive three-part series career retrospective and I, I really I edit it myself because the the sort of details and the demands and the beats that I want to hit to the music and to certain things are too much to put on a local news editor when they have other things they have to deal with um, you know my package would be one of three they would need to edit in a day and oftentimes my packages take multiple days just to edit so I thought okay I'll take it upon myself but I said what I'll do is I will air this behemoth uh, you know, you know, CBS Sunday morning kind of special 
on the 25th anniversary of Pulp Fiction. But for now, I will, I'll air a couple of bites from The Fanatic. And then in October, when the Pulp Fiction anniversary hits, then I'll, edit, then I'll have two months to put this piece together. Well, I just found out that the Pulp Fiction <laughs> anniversary is on Friday. So this three-part, <laughs> probably like 12-minute piece that I need to put together uh, that I thought I had two months for, I, uh, I know I now need to have done uh, by tomorrow, actually. So, oh uh, I'm, so I'm a little bit just like travolted out because I am just drowning in clips and sound bites and edits and swings and this and that. So once I am able to sort of get away from this package, I'll be much happier about the experience that I've had. But right now I'm just sitting here going, what have I done? I've made a huge mistake. Uh, there's one line that Travolta dropped in Jake's uh, interview that told me who he was as a performer and why he's still around as a noted celebrity. When you asked him about the singing and dancing uh, component of his thing, and he said, well, back then you just learned how to do all three because you had then you had three chances to get employed. Right. <laughs> and I that, that just speaks to someone who's such a professional that they want to make it right. as an entertainer, not. I want to be an overnight celebrity sensation. Because you don't you know? think like of him as someone that needs to, you know, fight in order to survive. But he was thinking he never loses that yeah, instinct. Hopefully, one of those things clicks, and he is just that weird trifecta where he's able to do all three at the same time. Um, let's move on to this week in movies. We will very quickly go through uh, the films that are coming out and give you very quick reactions about whether we think you should see them or not. Uh, this is a fun segment of the show because quite often, especially in August, uh, we haven't seen a lot of the stuff that's coming out, unfortunately. And some of it's due to the junket schedule. Some of it's due to Jake's commitment to John Travolta at the moment. Um, but I think once uh, better movies start coming to the theaters, we will be better off with this segment. But has anyone seen Overcomer yet? I have not. Yeah, it's a Christian-based uh, or faith-based. I think that's a faith-based movie. Uh, Brittany runs a marathon. I'm seeing that next week because she's coming uh, in studio. Oh, nice. She's another one who's making the yeah. publicity rounds yeah. for that show. And I've heard really good yeah, things about it. as have I. Movie, Which is, it's a great true story, too. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Very nice. Oh, that's right, because the main girl is doing press for it also. Okay, uh, Angel Has Fallen. I see that tomorrow night. I saw Angel Has Fallen. All right, I'll very quickly go. Uh, this is the third installment in the Gerard Butler in the Has Fallen uh, trilogy. Secret Service protecting the president franchise uh, came out at the same time as Roland Emmerich's White House Down. It was a uh, dueling White House in peril movies. To the shock of everyone, this is the one that's still producing installments. If I were to guess back in the day, the Channing Tatum, Jamie Foxx-led one would have been the one that produced uh, sequels, not the uh, Aaron Eckhart, Gerard Butler, with all due respect to each of those men. Uh, this is the most entertaining of the three, believe it or not. Um, new director who's come on board. It was Antoine Fuqua for the first one, uh, and I don't know who directed London Has Fallen, but this is um, uh, Rick Roman... So, so, so and so. I forget his last name. Anyway, did a good job. He did a good job with this movie. And what I liked about it was it, it does something that an action movies nowadays tend not to do. And this is what checked me out of Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, Gerard Butler's character, when this movie starts, is completely beaten down because of all the stuff he's had to go through in the first two movies. Like, it's, I think the first scene uh, for him is in a doctor's office. And the doctor's office is like, everything in you is broken. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, I've been through a ton. And he's contemplating retirement, and he gets pulled back into this other adventure, and it's got a bit of a fugitive to it because he's blamed for crimes, which is preposterous to me because who would blame this guy? He saved the world twice. Um, but it really leans into the vulnerability 
of Mike Banning, which is the most generic action hero name of all Mike time. N- nothing about these movies should work, but yet this one was more entertaining than I thought. Morgan Freeman, who I adore. And Jake, you still have the greatest Morgan Freeman bit of anyone that I've ever seen. Morgan Freeman reading Jake's eulogy. <laughs> uh, find that on YouTube if, if you guys haven't seen it. It's tremendous. This is such a great paycheck role for Morgan Freeman because he's in that scene um, on the boat with the drones that's heavily featured in the in the trailer. And then he's in a coma for the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's uh, hard at work here. Uh, and they introduce what, Nick what Nolte just, like, to the franchise sleeping? Too, they couldn't so. wake him up. They're like, we need to rewrite this movie. <laughs> Morgan, can you work today? Nah, I'm exhausted. Uh, okay, so I would recommend it. I gave it three and a half out of five. It is actually, Olympus is like Fallen was amazing, by the way. I, I liked Olympus it, yeah. Fallen. London Olympus is, is good. Fallen was L- London bad. was not bad. Really not bad. Yeah. Yeah, so I enjoyed Angel is Fallen. Okay, Ready or Not. Have you guys seen Ready or Not? Tomorrow no, but I really want to. Yeah, tomorrow night. Um, we're giving it, Cinema Blend's giving it five stars. A five-star review. Like, the, the buzz on this has been yeah. over the top. Wow. Great. Uh, we have already praised The Peanut Butter Falcon, a film that is going wider uh, starting on August 23rd. If you listened to last week's episode, Kevin and I told you all the reasons why we think you should see it. Uh, we were able to do an exclusive interview with the co-directors of The Peanut Butter Falcon, Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz, when they came through Charlotte. Really nice guys who have also told us that they are uh, avid listeners of the Roblin podcast. Well, now they're about to hear themselves talking about their very special movie here on the show. It's nice to have these sort of roles. that we are. Hi, I'm Tyler Nilsson. I'm excited to be on Sean's podcast. You did. Cinema Blend in St. Louis. You yeah. talked to Mac Rowden. Yeah, I did. Yes, yeah. recently. I did, so yeah. I'm lucky mm-hmm. to get some time with you guys as well. Boom. Look at that. Boom. That's awesome. See? Yeah, <laughs> and my dude you. devours podcasts. I'm really? addicted. Yeah. I'm addicted. Are I go, really? I go yeah. like four or five hours a day of podcasts. Yeah. I sleep to them. Yeah. I don't well, get as lonely. What can we do better? Tell me. As someone who listens to a lot of them. Have you already written a review uh, for Peanut Butter Falcon? I have not yet. You're literally perfect. It's don't <laughs> <laughs> No, you guys are you guys are great. I like yeah. I like the banter. Yeah. I like how much fun you're having. I think it's important for people to love movies. Like what I like to when, yeah. when I listen to people talking about movies, I love that they love movies. Right. You yeah. guys love movies. I have a hard time with, and this isn't a critique for you, sure. it's for other people. When they're just really looking to like tear people down or like like find the find the problem rather than sure. find the enjoyment. So yeah. I appreciate yeah. that you guys find the enjoyment. Yeah. So we will continue to do that, believe mm-hmm. me. Yeah. That is definitely our approach. Yeah. It is a fun like they're to speak to uh I guess we'll talk about critics and stuff because we're here, but sure. it is so nice when people I, I I take critique just like any artist take critique. I, I actually enjoy critique in in its own it can make you way because it can make you better sure. and I don't I don't want anyone to be like a yes man ever. I do think it's important to be like, here's what works and here's what you can maybe do different. But when people come in and are like, I'm going to hurt this. Sure. And, and it's, I've only seen it happen maybe to us once, mm-hmm. but uh, it is, it is a really, you guys are doing a great job and I'm super grateful to, you know, be here with you guys, with, you know, with you because it's, cool. it's fun. You know, it's fun to like, well, this past week we got our first two, one star reviews on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> so we. Approached. Oh, so you know, so you get critiques too. Of course, yeah. Oh, can I ask? I you, actually what, what to it they, last yeah. night. Well, we did. Um, uh, we got Tarantino. Mm-hmm. I mean, we got Tarantino for the podcast as a guest, and they gave you one star. Well, they said too much slobbering. We were like, 
fanboys. fanboys. Yeah. Who cares? It's Tarantino. <laughs> well, you have I would, I would do fanboys. Fanboys. You Wouldn't you think? I mean, in any other sort of situation, we would be as professional as can be. Uh, but when but you also, get, no, it's fine. I want that. Well, like you said, you yeah, wanted you can, to learn. I, and grow. That's why the first thing re- I asked is, what can we do better? Relatability. I'm more into that because I would fanboy too if I yeah, were in a room exactly. with Tarantino. Of course. Or so, yeah, like I would fanboy in a room with Kevin Costner. Yeah. Like I'd fanboy in yeah, a lot of rooms. It's almost like you're a human being. Yeah. God forbid. Yeah. God forbid. You tear down that. It's so funny because we got. Uh, a really wonderful review from Hollywood. Anyway, uh, this guy Joe that wrote, wrote for Hollywood uh, News. I don't, know. I don't know, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, and it was uh, like one of the most beautiful reviews. It felt so good okay. to um, to hear it. And he said, "This is my in my top five of the year." Oh, nice. And then somebody responded on Twitter and, and said, "Oh, what's your number one?" And he w- was like, "Tarantino." Okay. Like uh, you know, um, uh, one time, time in Hollywood, yeah. and and I was like, and I hearted it, and I was like, of course, like <laughs> Tarantino gets a pass. Like <laughs> it's almost like it, in this stage that he's almost like uh, he's getting. Um, it's like a lifetime achievement, like a Nolan. Yeah. Also, you know, yeah. anyone like whatever the score says, these score says. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, come like, I mean, have you seen it yet? No, not yet. I want to see the trailer for it. Oh yeah, it looks. Like there's some cool shots in it. Absolutely. I wonder about it. Yeah. yeah, I hope it's good. Did I, you see the Honey Boy trailer today? No. Oh, oh yeah, Shia's movie, dude. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, it was. That, <laughs> I'm a trailer nerd. Are we we're running a power? I can just talk, right? Just talk. I'm a I'm a trailer nerd. I'm in love here. We're, we're, you guys are supposed to promote Peanut Butter Falcon. And I'm like, did you see the other movies trailer? <laughs> no, I'm a trailer nerd. And that trailer really hit me in the feels. I'm really proud of him as a human being. Okay. You know, he's a... Uh, I had a, a pang of jealousy. I really? did too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Admittedly. Why? Just because it's, it's a, a great trailer. It's a great okay. trailer. Okay. It's real artistic. I think in... Like, that's more my taste. Okay. Uh, or A24 taste. Okay. Yeah, yeah. like, I'm drawn gotcha. towards the real artsy stuff. Sure. I may not, like, make it as much, but that's what I'm a fan of. Sure. Um, and I think also our trailer leaned into a little more of the... Commercial space. Com- commercial side of our movie. Yeah. Okay. But there's also a lot of, like, slow artsy stuff as well. Mm. It just didn't make the trailer. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, all right. Questions. Yeah. Ask away. <laughs> um, when breaking the story, yeah. I'm curious, uh, who came first, Tyler or Zach? Zach. Zach came 100%, first? hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, Zach a hundred percent. I mean, Z- Zach, and I know we're talking about breaking the story, so, but you know, Zach from moment one opened the script and closed the script. Okay. You know, you watch the movie and the opening shot is Zach and the closing shot is Zach. Mm-hmm. Tyler is meant, to, it's a twofer for sure structurally, but Tyler is meant to be of service to Zach. Okay. And that was something we, you know, and, and that comes from, you know, the character, I'm Tyler, the character Tyler is named Tyler. That wasn't by accident. We tried to change the name. We never thought, we never thought we'd make it this size, so we, we just... We're, we're going to make it with four people and, like, a couple favors. Okay. Yeah, and it just kept growing. Right, right. But we had seen Zach acting, so we volunteer at this camp called Tino Mountain Farm. It just has stuff happening in Vermont and L.A., and we were volunteering in L.A., just trying to be of service, like, helping out Zach, helping out a bunch of guys um, make a short film, and we watched Zach give, like, a legit performance. Okay. Like, a really true, like performance it was beautiful it was like he was making decisions like he was putting meat on the words he was like hey so when I come in I'm gonna take my glasses off and I'm gonna put my drink down then I'm gonna say the line because that's what this bad guy needs to do okay and I remember just being like oh my god he's so right like that's what the bad guy needs to do right right and then it was like one of those things we're having dinner that Mm -hmm. night we were all talking and Zach sort of just was really open and vulnerable was like I you know told us he he 
he studied theater in high school. He went to performing arts high school. Mm. He teaches um, theater at his local JCC in Florida. Mm. He to be closer to movies and, and performances. He works as an usher at a movie theater. Wow. Um, he committed his life to trying to be an entertainer. And we were sitting there, and he was like, "I want to be in a movie. I want to be a movie star. How could I make that happen?" Okay. To us, mm. to quote, I'm saying finger quote, LA guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. which yeah. we're not. Mm. And we had just made one short film and a couple commercials, and we we're fucking nobody. Excuse my language, if it's I find you know we're fucking nobody. <laughs> um, we're trying to clean it up a little bit, <laughs> uh, you know. And we were just sort of like, wow, like this guy isn't going to get a shot. Like, and we talked to him about it. We're like, there's no, I've never seen a feature film starring somebody with Down syndrome ever. I think from show business side, we're, we're the show, we're the art dudes, but from the business side, like people, and we found out later, but we've also seen like, weren't willing to support a hero that was that different. Okay. It was just, was, it hadn't been done. And even, and even if it was written that way, they wanted us to cast like a, you know, do it Rain Man style, like bring sure. in a Dustin Hoffman. Who's They're like, the script is actually great. Right. But who are you going to bring in to play Zach? Yeah. Okay. So we just were like, okay, like, Zach, I want to be real with you right now. This probably isn't going to happen. Okay. It's just like, I don't know how to say this to you, and I love you, and this comes from love, but I don't see a clear shot that's like, it's not like as simple as fill in the blanks, which okay. is, this is like, this is crazy. It's a big ask. Sure. And he just whip crack smart was like, well, you guys make short films? And we're like, yeah. Like, and he was like, well, let's just do it together. Mm-hmm. And you like, guys write and direct? I'll yeah. star in it. Here we go. Easy. Right. That was it. Easy. So Super he, easy. He spoke the film into existence. That's and, amazing. And Mike <laughs> and I were just like, yeah, man, let's do it. Let's do that. Let's do it. Why not? Like, we we had come from a background where we were doing short form narratives. We like Mike and I both started in commercials. Mike was in the back side, front. Mike was in the back. I was in the front. He was doing post, and I was doing front of the house stuff. And, right, right. Um, and so we had been telling thirty second narratives, and you just kind of learn that, and then you start getting. We started getting into short films and two and three minute pieces, and kind of learned there's a different pacing to that. Right. And then you get into like a ten minute pace, and that's a totally different pace. Sure. And we had done a ten minute film, and that was doing well at like some small festivals and on YouTube and stuff and it was like this next thing we're like what are we going to do and it was like this perfect storm of like we're looking to do a larger piece mm-hmm. Zach wants to be a movie star we think he's got got an ability you know beyond his quote disability and let's basically go out and build a dance floor you know it's funny even the raft is like sort of shaped like it but let's go build a dance <laughs> floor for him to show off his talents right. so Zach came first where did wrestling come from? Zach <laughs> Zach loves it we were, we were on a road trip and he got sick one night, and he had a backpack next to his bed, and all these wrestling magazines slid out. Okay. I was like, you like wrestling? He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's, he loves it. And it's also, like, it's great. It's fun to look at. It was Tyler say if we ended at a big chess match, it yeah, probably we wouldn't be as entertaining. Yeah, sure. we weren't writing yeah, a yeah, film sure. to get to a big chess match. <laughs> like, we had to do something kind of fun and right. also keep Zach excited. You know, he was on Good Morning America yesterday and he was like, yeah, the movie's great. Yeah, working with Shine Dakota are great. And they're like, you're going to WrestleMania, like a surprise. And he was like, oh, are you kidding me? Like he's fucked up. <laughs> so we had to be aware of like to craft, uh, to, to give, because Mike and I talk about a lot about directing is you're sort of just coach and crafting experience for other people to have sure you're like going like hey you get out of the way and this is close you know you're just helping people get to a place emotionally and crafting the vibe mm. and with zach we had to keep him excited okay. so we had to craft that vibe so when you know and i won't give anything away but there's a couple moments where it's just zach's like 
holy shit, this is so exciting. Yeah, yeah. But that was because he's getting to live his dream too. So we had to, we wanted to kind of break those things together. Did you shoot that stuff last? Toward the end yeah. of the Yeah. The yeah. kid to keep him going with yeah. it. How about his costume design? Did you get to work on that? Yeah. <laughs> that was actually, you know, where, you know where that came from? Oh, wait, yeah. which part? The the clothing or the, the, the cardboard? Actual, the, the, well, the cardboard, yeah. yeah. The okay. Cardboard. Sorry yeah. to give anything away. That's okay. That's yeah. not no, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, That cardboard thing is just Mike and I, we are like pretty handy and we have been making, I always make cardboard costume mm. like that. And we uh, had a guy on, on Pat Story named Pat Story. Who, okay. Do you know who Guar is? Yeah, sure. So Guar is this weird rock group. Like hard rock. Are they still recording? I mean, I don't know. I don't, before, okay. like, Pat designed their costume okay. back in the day. insane theatrical, yeah, yeah. like, huge <laughs> football helmet costume. So, Pat, we were like, hey, Pat, we, we make cardboard costumes. And he was like, I got this. And yeah. definitely put it, put it on steroids for sure. But, yeah. That's amazing. Um, what, is, what was the budget? I know this is the worst possible I mean, it's, it's the worst possible ask. Yeah. You just but, said it, so we'll just move now. But, <laughs> it's small. But Honestly, like, yeah. it was really hard to get any money for this. Yeah. So, like, convincing people to give us, I think it was a couple million dollars is what it started at, and then it went up from there. But okay. everybody did it not for minimums. Much. Not much. Right. It was all union minimums and then time. You know, I think we took 31 days, which is longer than most indie films. Okay. But also, like, we were on an armada of rafts, and, like, the crew was shooting from boats, and we were in the south. and All exteriors. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, locations were really important to us, so, right, like, right. getting to a cornfield that we liked and getting to... An uh, island in the distance where there's sharks swimming around it. Did you see the shark in the movie, by no, the way? I did not. Oh, okay. dude. Which shark part? swims through the, the walk on water scene? Yeah, yeah. If you, this is a beautiful shot. I love it. By the way, I yeah. love those shots. We fought so hard to get those shots in the film. Like, okay. uh, if you're watching this scene, and we call it the walk on water scene, but it's uh, you'll know what it is when you get there. Um, basically, we pull out into a wide, and Mike and I were shooting shooting this wide of this boat, this beach boat, and these two guys walking across frame. Yeah, and this, we had a, an hour to shoot that entire thing. Okay, so we were running like lunatics, handheld, or like because the tide's coming up. And the, the essentially the set is disappearing. That's why at the end of the scene they're in waist deep water, and okay. the beginning of the scene they're in ankle deep water. Right, right. Because it just went like that. But we're in basically <coughs> waist deep water, watching this happen, and we're watching the monitors. We're Mike and I are standing in this water. We directed in our bathing suits. Yeah, <laughs> straight up, true story. Uh, and we're standing in this water, and Mike goes. Dude, this is the coolest thing ever. Look at all these shark fins in the monitor. And I'm looking at the monitor, which is just pointed four feet in front of us. And I'm like, we're high-fiving. We're like, we couldn't pay for this. There's real sharks. There's real sharks here. It looks here. so cool. It looks so real. And Did then the actors know? Uh, well, the actors were on land. So yeah. we were, in, the, oh, okay. in, we gotcha. were in deeper water. Gotcha. And then I just had this moment where our first AD was like, get out of there. <laughs> on the radio. It was like, get out of there. We're like, let's just get one more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd lose a calf for that scene, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 they were look. They were real, real shit. They're probably four or five foot sharks. They're not going to kill you. They're going to tear your calf off. And I would have at been, the worst. And yeah. I would have been willing to lose a calf muscle. And you have a great like story to yeah. tell. Exactly. I just would have been a little bit of lip. But uh, it's fine. You mentioned the cornfields and and that shot too. You guys do aerial shots. Yes, love uh, them overheads, man. Super complicated. Though. They are. <laughs> One seemed to be a helicopter. Uh, yeah, thought, no, they're okay. all drone. Are they all like, drone? Oh, yeah. is that how you doing them? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Is that how the kids are doing it these days? Is that? I would run a helicopter. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was. The choice behind aerial shots. We just overlaid. loved them, and and we wrote them, and we storyboarded with Jay Todd Anderson, who did all the um, Coen Brothers movies. Okay, and he was really good at pushing us to like, have things look different. Um, but we knew from the beginning, Todd and I were just like, we're gonna do that directly overhead thing, right? 
And we're also looking at ways to cut creatively that wasn't like from a wide to a close up to a wide. Sure, sure. And also we yeah. come from like my, I came, I was a, I'll fill you in, I was a hand model, like a pretty famous hand model for 10 years. That was like my job. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Mike was doing the Apple commercials and I got into, he's like, you, you got to get into this. They're giving people money to hold phones. <laughs> it's so weird. But they call it, it's a, the, the tabletop. Type, they call it tabletop. It's okay. a type of directing for commercials and they have tabletop. I love you staring at my hands. Yeah, like, now I have there. to. That's, that's what they look that's like. Fantastic. So I did like Brad, I did like Brad Pitt's hands. I did like Sport hands, Brett Favre. I did like all these like kind of famous actor hands. Right. For, like so, you'd have a Cadillac commercial. Okay. And then in that Cadillac commercial, the inserts of you know John Slattery sitting in this com- in this car. You go in in my in, in the Lincoln, and my hands are on Shut the wheel. Up. So they call <laughs> that awesome. they call that tabletop directing. So like it's funny because that style of overhead really it's, clearly it's is tabletop. tabletop. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. Just for like it's, products when you set. Like again, Let's so phone. phone. Yeah, yeah. But you set, <laughs> so, like yeah. you set, like an Apple commercial. There's yeah. a bunch of them where they just like set a phone down, yeah. sure, and you turn around. So that's tabletop. Okay. It was something that we'd been doing in commercials for a long time. Okay. And so and we were just like, oh, yeah. just do it just in the scenes scale. with a drone. And Nigel, yeah. Nigel Bluck, our DP, awesome. is phenomenal. Was like, I don't know if we need table. Like basically, I don't know if we need overheads. Right. And Mike and I were like, yes, nah, we, we do. need them. Well, yes, we, we do. Need As someone who watches a shit ton of movies, I can tell you, like the minute you see a shot like that, it automatically in the back of your head, whether you even notice. Or not you're like oh these guys care yeah. yes oh this isn't yes. just a this isn't just, just a, boom, a boom, lazy boom, boom, yeah boom. No, yeah these guys the thought coverage, about this shot yes completely and, yeah they put some thought behind it that also being said um mike and i always say this there's five characters in this movie there is zach tyler eleanor the earth and the music oh wow and we had to show that like we did you know something about I love about old westerns is those big expansive wides mm-hmm. and they're shot in anamorphic and it's so beautiful big skies and it yeah, showed yeah. the world and we were like okay we're gonna do a, a southern it's not a western it's a southern okay. and we w- wanted to show the south and these big, big expansive wides and um, with these anamorphic lenses and when we had the opportunity to do that we really sat in that okay what, uh, did you shoot in North Carolina at all? I wish we I wish we could have. Right. Um, it would, some of the shots, we shot a trailer to get the movie made, basically to prove a concept that we mm-hmm. showed to sure. people. Yeah. And some of those shots are still in the final film. Okay. In the, um, in the, the trailer, too. Yeah. Draft sailing wides. So those are in North Carolina. But okay. once we built our whole crew, we didn't have money for a company move. Sure, yeah. So it's just like, yeah. you're, just, you're doing it in Georgia. Yeah. yeah. It breaks my heart. I know yeah. my state is doing that. Are you from North yeah. Carolina? Uh, I mean, I've been down here 21 years. Mm-hmm. So Native right here. Pretty much. Outer yeah. Banks Native right here. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. And I hate what they're doing, you know, yeah. in terms of moving all the, the money down to Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, 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 as a North Carolinian, I'm not super pumped either. It's funny because I'm like, let's talk politics in North Carolina for your podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that... Uh, I understand, but I also think that, you know, jobs are jobs. And I really, I, I love film and I think I want North Carolina to be a film state. It sort of sure. seems like it's moving away from it. But yeah, I hope it know. comes back. It's cyclical. Usually it is. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah, they totally lose the is. business and then they go, oh, there went, the there went 5,000 jobs. Let's bring right. them back. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's usually every six years, right? Sort of like, give or take. Yeah. But that Pinewood studio down in Atlanta uh, is massive. Yeah. I mean, they're luring so many people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. I don't, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, I would shoot well, down Wilmington had a bunch of sages too. They did, yeah, sure. James Wan was shooting there, a lot of TV. A lot of yeah. TV. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget about Dawson's Creek, guys. Of course. To right. put us on the All right. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, how on earth do you guys give Bruce Dern direction? <laughs> you go like this. <laughs> Hey Bruce, can we shoot the scene now? He's talking. Mike, he's a, Mike is a German <laughs> fan. Oh, I Mike love is, Bruce. I'm, I'm a giant Bruce yeah. fan. And I'll tell you an aside right now before I get to your question. Okay. So we had our red carpet premiere in LA last week. Okay. 
Bruce Dern shows up. We're on the red carpet taking pictures with him, and I was just like, and we had just seen, by the way, we had just seen Time in Hollywood. Oh, nice. Okay, opening night. It was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. I know. Yeah, he passed. We study. We study. Yeah. By the way, part of me is like, he didn't pass like in a way that like means like he didn't want to do it. Rest his soul. He went to another place. Yes. Thinking about you, Bert. But but Bruce, you know, he would tell us, and I come up with Dernsies. I don't always say what's on the page, but I, I might give you a Dernsey. Okay. So I'll give, it, I'll give it to you once it's scripted, and then give me some room for Dernseys. Okay. And we're like, okay. So he comes onto the red carpet. And, and, we, like, and we had watched, by the way, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we were like, damn, that was real. Some of the best lines in that were from Bruce. And we're like, I wonder if that was a Dernsey. <laughs> so he, he shows up, and there's way too many cameras. Like, I don't know why you need this many cameras at a premiere, but 100, 150 just cameras. And we're sitting there with Brewster, and I got my arm around him, Ty's got his arm around him, and I was like, hey, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Was it a Dernsey when you said... I don't, I don't know, know who you are, but you've touched me today. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he immediately lights up and he's like, not only was that a Dernsey, <laughs> but the last one, the last line of the scene was also a Dernsey. I kept three Dernseys. <laughs> that was great. And then we were like, well, Bruce, Bruce, we kept some Dernseys too. He hadn't seen the film. He hadn't he seen the, the film. Oh, really? And we then got to sit behind him. Dude. He was seated awesome. directly in front of us. Okay. And there's a light coming off the screen with the Arclight Hollywood. So it's big, wide, wide, nice. wide screen. Yeah. And I'm watching, I'd seen the movie a thousand times. Sure. So I watched Bruce Dern watch our movie. Okay. And it was so cool. He was laughing. He had a moment where he leans over, he, the girl he's with, he, and the woman he was with, he leans over and he goes, was, is that Thomas Hayden Church? <laughs> like, and, and she goes, she was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, this is good. <laughs> like, you know, like, he was just like, it was so fun. John Hawks, he yeah. met John, like, yeah. John Hawks and him were never on set together, so they never met. Right. John Hawks was like, oh, Bruce, nice to meet mm-hmm. you. And he's like, John Hawks. I'm a big fan. <laughs> and John was like, oh my God. Yeah. He was the funny, they're just people. They're fans of Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, man. Totally it's fans uh, of So directing Bruce Dern, to get back to the original question. Yeah, sure. It's one, being lucky enough to have him show up on your set. God willing, man. Two, sort of knowing that he's going to talk a lot while they're setting up the camera. Do so tell stories. He'll man. tell you stories about him. Imagine when I was with John Wayne. Long form storytelling too. There's yeah. no ending to it. It right. just keeps going. Yeah, he'd roll right into and like Dakota's on set and he's like, your grandmother. Tippy. You know, the, let me tell you a story about Tippy. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. face would melt. And, and also, I'll tell you, before he came on set, our producers who had produced Nebraska, right, uh, and Little Miss Sunshine and Election, but they had done Nebraska with Bur- with Bruce. They were like, "Listen, here's the deal: you can't let Bruce talk too long. Okay, yeah, you have to hold him. You because, still have to shoot a movie. Yeah, you yeah. have to shoot right. a movie. Yeah, sure. And then it cut like <coughs> hard cut to us." They've been like, hey, you guys were ready. And it's like 18 minutes later. And we're sitting there. And he's, he's like, like hold on. We're talking to yeah. Bruce. And he's like, and then Tippy said to me. And Dakota's just shaking her head. And our producers are like waving their hands, trying to get our attention. Like, you guys, we got to move. We got to move. We you only move. have it for two days. Yeah. yeah. But it, it was great. I mean, knowing like he's going to give it to you as scripted. Sure. And then play with it. Create room for him. Yeah. You know, I think as directors, it's something that I think it's an important job is you're really kind of cultivating a vibe and an and, and arena where people can kind of shine to be their best selves. Mike and I aren't word perfect directors. It doesn't matter if there's a comma there or not. Like we know where the scene starts, we know where it ends, and we know we're trying to get get relayed through there. And the power of edit really leaves a lot of room for people to try to find something cathartic. You know, like and I'm, the type of coverage we were doing. We weren't yeah. shooting oneers, so okay. it's like kind of on any line you can cut in or cut out. Okay, yeah. keep the good stuff. Yeah. And create a space for Bruce Dern to be the best Bruce Dern possible. And I, and I, and I love his performance in this. I think he's wonderful, you know, and it's because we, I think we just were like, Hey, like we love who you are. 
Just come do what you do. It doesn't matter where the ideas come from. Yeah. Right. So that's the sandbox you guys are creating moving forward? For sure. Yeah. And it was, it was for do. everybody. Yeah. It was yeah. like Shia and Zach came up with stuff that wasn't on the page. Right. And we're like, great, lean into that. That's better than I That's better than I could have thought of or Tyler could have thought of. And same with Dakota and Thomas Hayden Church. And Yeah. Oh, shit. That's so good. Like yeah, Bruce yeah, Turner's yeah. lying. That's like, what he wants to do with her. Stuff is life. He just, he just made it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. And we were like, oh, that's so good. You know, Zach, uh, Zach in the cornfield, like rule, rule number one is party. So rule number one is party was not, it's, it's he's, my question for the yeah, Q&A. Qu- yeah. So what, you want to ask it? Whether it was ad-libbed or something. Yeah. Zach just came up So with. rule number one is party. And that, I think it shows that that how fantastic so Zach is. Yeah. He's just throwing curveballs. <laughs> and he was, and we, were, we, we created a space where like, we didn't need Zach to memorize because the line was, you are in charge. Yeah, sure. It was would have been the end of the scene. Right. It's better to be. Zach knew yeah. it was the end of the scene. And what's rule number one? And Zach was like, party? But like, <laughs> I'll never, dude, I will never forget. I'll never forget shooting that scene that day. And the way they were walking, he was blocking Shia and it wouldn't have worked visually. Okay. Like, you just can't have two characters basically completely blocking sure, each other. Sure. And I remember just be, knowing something was coming. And I was like, in my head, we were far away. And I remember just being like, oh dear God, like if there if if there is a Lord up there in heaven, like please, Zach, take a little baby step to your right. And Zach took a little baby step to his right, and it wasn't far enough. And I was like, oh, a little bit more. And he took one more, and then he just goes, party. And every you could feel everybody on set, their yes. muscles clench. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. And then I was like, let's let it keep going. And they keep walking. And he goes, No, rule number one is don't slow me down. What's rule number one? He goes, You're in charge? Yeah. And he goes, We're gonna work on it. And I at that exact moment, I was like, that's in the trailer, that's the hero mm-hmm. line for the film, that's yeah. the thesis through line. Bring that's it back the, in another we, scene. Yeah, right. like right. we yeah. It just but it, you know, if you didn't create a dance floor for Zach to be the best version of himself then we wouldn't have found that if we had been like Shia like you have to be on book with the commas then you're basically putting him in a cage can you imagine that just saying like so precious with your words no I can't imagine that no but you hear like I listen to Kevin Smith podcast and he's like oh you know I did that for six movies and I had he tells a story about like there was a Chris Chris Rock joke that he improvised and he's like oh I'm sorry I can't use it and Chris Rock was like what are you talking about he's like I didn't write it what is the writing credit going to be Kevin Smith and Chris Rock for one line and he just didn't understand and right. it was yeah. three, three, four movies in. Yeah. Oh, I guess you can just yeah. Yeah. take improvise. Yeah, rises. totally. Also, like with the quality of cast we have, which was crazy. Goosebumps. Um, My God, goosebumps. I got goosebumps still, right? People listen. <laughs> like they're listening. They're not just saying lines. So knowing, like, right. oh, if we don't say cut, what's going to happen? Right. They're all listening to each other. Right. Yeah. Can I, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Can I tell you about a theory about Shia? About Shia? Of course. And I actually think this would be the most weird, beautiful, strange film ever. Is because Shia doesn't stop until you yell cut. Okay. He oh, is, you never yelled cut? I thought about this. Because there were moments where we went, I was like, let's let it go five minutes. Let's just see what happens. And he lives it. He fully lives it. Right. And I was like, what would it be like if you wrote a film and you didn't tell him and you cast him? And then you, you called action. Yeah. And then you just let this character create an entire life. Just it Birdman. Would, it would be, <laughs> you know what I actually thought about? It would be, you could do a really interesting, and if you're listening to this, write it it's a great idea I, I think uh, you could do a really interesting almost Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. thing where like a character in a lead film the, the, the director yells action and this character goes on to build an entire life right mm-hmm. and it's just like basically this like uh, what's that's what this guy does it's like uh, it's like um, what was the Matthew McConaughey movie where he was on Ed TV oh yeah, yeah. combined right, with mm-hmm. combined with um, 
Uh, like Truman Show? Truman Show okay. combined with something else, combined with a documentary. Bowfinger. It would be so strange because that dude would just not stop. Well, what did he do? He did that marathon where he watched all of his films, right? Yeah. Start yeah. But I mean, art, art stuff, he is so next level with the way he thinks about art and story and right. I love character. That, there's, there's, yeah. We had some really fun things in pre-pro where he's like, okay, my guy. My guy wears a red shirt. He listens to death metal and he wears Crocs. And we're like, no, you don't, brother. No, I, you lo- don't. I love you, Shia, but you, this is, I grew up in this world and everybody wears white fishing boots. Okay. They might wear pants, but usually jean shorts and white shirts that are dirty. Universally. Okay. That is how it goes. Okay. That is just, that is the outfit. There is nothing else. That is what people wear. And he was like, you guys kind of got me making boring decisions out here. Like I'm trying to give you a, like give a, create a character. And I was like, well, that character doesn't wear red, red shirts. Okay. And, then, and he was like, okay, okay. Well, I want to smoke cigarettes. And we were like, uh, you, you can't afford cigarettes. Yeah. Dude, like your guy broke. can't afford cigarettes. Right, he's right. broke. He, and he's like, all right. He's just kind of in a half. We end the Skype next day. Get back on the sky. Shit eating grin, dude. He's just he's looking at us like this. Arms just, crossed, sitting back, like, what's up, guys? Yeah. And he goes, yeah. My guy. <laughs> My guy finds cigarette butts on the ground. He harvests the tobacco and he hand rolls with that. And we're like, that's Yeah, true. That's, that's really true. good. That's okay. what your guy does. Yeah. <laughs> that's what your guy does. He was like, I want to do that at the beach scene, the, the scene with them, with them when he's rolling a cigarette. Yeah. The, the, we call it the sailboat in the dunes. Yeah. He's like, I want to do it there. And we're like, yeah, obviously it's your guy, dude. Okay. Just you're not allowed to wear a red shirt and Crocs. <laughs> yeah. But we That's know it's a fine line because, you know, you want to create the dance floor and you do. And some, you know, there's a fine balance of like the dance floor is this big and we can't go that far sure. over there. Yeah. But you can do anything you want here. You know, this is our dance floor. There's a, there's another, and this, we're just being open. Thomas Hayden Church, we were talking with him about prep and, you know, he was like, I love the script. I'm excited about this. And long conversations we can have he's a really fun guy to talk to and we were talking about dialogue and uh, God, don't tell <laughs> no, it no I'm gonna tell uh, it it's a good story uh, now I need to hear it <laughs> it was nice being on this podcast <laughs> alright tell it so uh tell it we're t- having this conversation we're can connecting. I say the line I said yeah okay but let me set it up. Right. so we're geeked out like Thomas Hayden Church like, like TNC, Bruce Turner man. he's an Oscar nominee yeah, he's like best. one of the best yeah, and we're having so this conversation unique. we're trying to connect and we're being energetic and he's talking about dialogue and Tyler just pops in and goes I don't give a shit what you say man I don't give a shit about the word and he goes <laughs> You don't give a shit what I say. Like he's like, you, you don't you don't value shit. my opinion. Like what the fuck? And I was like, no 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 no. And then he tried to clarify it by just saying the same thing. He's like, no, I just I don't give a shit what you say. And he's like, what? It took it took like two minutes to find. No no no. Like you can say whatever you want. I, tr- oh, okay, I trust okay. you to yeah. find the words. Right, I don't right, give right. a shit about the specific. But there was a, there was an awkward like dissonant minute and a half where like, we felt really disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> Admittedly, later on, he did say, he's like, I was kind of being an asshole on the phone to you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's that. You don't give a shit what I say? And I was like, no, it's, well, I mean, I don't, but yes, I do. <laughs> ah, fuck it. All right, I'm going to get the boot in a second. Yeah. Um, what Dude, kind of doors? Dude, coming over there. You're she's, she's, she's up. She's, she's off on. the floor. She's cut us. Ashton. Ashton. You're, you're moderating the QA tonight, I, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, all right. We'll get more time with you. Uh, yeah, you'll have more time. And what, is there anything in particular you guys want to get into tonight? In, in no, man. Of, just want to talk. We really, to be honest, I mean. No, we, I mean honestly, we want to sell tickets. So yeah, like, bring yeah. that up a couple times. Let people know like it matters opening weekend. Yeah. yeah, okay. And we're really good at running a room too. Like something like not like introduces, but we're pretty quick on the like running the room and Q and A's and audience. We don't mind audience. Like we enjoy audience questions. Yeah, okay, cool. like, I want to open up to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what has this year meant for you guys? What has it done for you guys? What doors has it opened? My has entire it- life has changed. Like this is I told Mike this two days ago. Like 
we were living in, I was living in a tent like three years ago. I was we're homeless from tent in LA. Okay. Like, to set. I, like legit, like I had a baby, I was sleeping in a tent. I was eating barely enough food to get by. I was eating one piece of chicken, a half a sweet potato, and a spoonful of butter every day. Okay. My life was crazy. It was challenging. Because you wanted to make it? Yes, we wanted to make this movie. And you have to be yeah. devoted. You have yeah. to be devoted and sort of not have a plan B. I wasn't going to get a nine to five and right. kind of put this on the back burner. It was this or die trying, a hundred percent. So to go from living in a tent in somebody's backyard to on set, to winning South by Southwest, to working with these people I've worked with, like it has been a, a miracle upon a miracle. Like it has been the greatest experience in my life and, and I truly have never been happier. Uh, but but not happy in like a gleeful like I'm happy satisfied I'm so yeah. satiated validated yeah I'm so satiated validated man. validated is more external I think we talk about oh. this as satisfied is from not within. to know and you sure. but no but I think no. it's an important <laughs> distinction because I don't I I'm uncomfortable with validation yeah okay. I've been like people I don't like people looking at me like yeah I feel like this is nice so we're just having a one on one conversation sure. but like I don't like really doing that or having cameras pointed at me okay. but satisfied I'd love to feel satisfied sure absolutely yeah so I feel this year is the most satiated I've ever felt in my life and I'm so grateful for that and something that even when Mike and I were living in a tent and really having hard times I would at the end of every day just look at Mike and be like hey man I'm really satiated with the journey it was a tough one today but I'm satiated on the journey what's a creative compromise you guys made Along the way, um, we had a boat chase that went um, into darkness. Went from dusk to darkness. It would have cost us three extra days. Yeah, just it was just like it didn't matter. Right, right. It, 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 and nothing, it made sense. Like our there. our producers are that's their job to keep us in line and be sure. like, you guys, this isn't like Mission Impossible. Right. Yeah. It's it is. Yes, it's cool that you wrote these three lines where Tyler knocks out the lights on his boat and disappears that way. Okay. Figure out a different way to do. Oh, it. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're talking about. All right. You guys got to go. No, All right. we don't. Thank you. I'm yeah, really yeah, grateful. Yeah. 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 You guys are amazing. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so Thank much. You. Yeah. Appreciate it. We'll see you uh, tonight. <clears throat> okay. Were you recording on that? I was. I hope so. Totally kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to transcribe it all. Okay. <laughs> oh, you're not going to put that out? You just transcribe it? No, I'm going to put it out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. I want to thank Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz for allowing us to sit down for an interview for Peanut Butter Falcon uh, and talk about their film. It's out in theaters now. Yes, Daenerys, you can go see it right now. Have Jake bring you to it right after he's finished recording this show. Super great, guys. Really great movie. All of their authenticity is absolutely uh, poured into their film. It's something special that's in theaters right now. I want to also emphasize, Shy is so good in this movie, and I asked them some questions about you know, which version of Shia they got. And because uh, you, know, you hear these stories about he can be difficult on set. And they said, you know, he went above and beyond in preparation for this and, and learned how to work a crab boat to get into character and had a lot of really interesting ideas about what his character should do. And these guys kind of shot down some things that he brought. Like he would he was smoking during one of the takes and they were like, what what's with the and he's like, yeah, I just think my character would smoke. And they were like, no, your character's dirt poor. Like he can't afford to buy cigarettes. He would not waste money on smokes. So then um, Shia went away for like a day or two, kept doing rehearsals, kept doing rehearsals, came back to them and he was like, okay, now I figured out what he's going to do. He goes through and finds butts on the ground and takes what little bit of tobacco is left mm. and then he collects all that and rolls it together. And the director's cool. like, they were like, yes, that's what your guy does. And so for the rest of the shoot, that's what Shia did just to stay in character. Like now, did they ever film tweaks, that right? for the movie or yeah. that's just... Um, yeah. Is that in the movie? Did they have him rolling cigarettes? I, I think they do. I think I over think so. one of the campfires, he's rolling cigarettes. I think so it. too. So yeah, yeah. It's a now that you film. say that, it's great. I would, yeah. I'd be curious to know if, if they're if they're listening, if they could email us. I want to know about the 
the name spelling. So in real life, his name is Z-A-C-K, the leading actor of the film, Zach. In the movie, it's just Z-A-K. And I know yeah. they, sp- they, they took, it was six years to get the movie mainly. Taylor wrote the script for Zach, who's phenomenal. And I'm just curious, the name, I know it's a, a very minimal detail, but I'd, I'd, I'm curious to know why they removed the C. Well, Michael Schwartz says he listens to us. So, Michael, if you're listening to us, hit us up on Twitter or go to uh, realblend at cinemablend.com and send us that answer. Uh, this week's blend game, obviously, we talked about the fact that we've been uh, singing the praises of John Travolta. We are going to play hashtag John Travolta blend. And I go down in the show notes that no one else reads. And I understand that Kevin gets to kick us off this week. Oh, wow. Kevin, uh, first of all, first. I did read the show notes today. Did you? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jake. You want a medal or a monument? Which one? I, I, I mean, are you offering <laughs> both? <laughs> no, I'm going to let Kevin go first is what I'm going to do. I went with uh, Face Off um, because I think it's arguably, I mean, one of the greatest performances ever. I love that performance because, and I know it sounds crazy, but if you think about the idea behind that film, if you haven't seen it, Nick Cage and Travolta... Um, Switch faces, uh, switch personality. Clearly, if you uh, haven't seen it, if you haven't seen it, you're not listening to the show. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the greatest movies ever made, um, and I've seen it over forty five times. Um, so, uh, Travolta it holds to me, up too. That yeah, that performance. See, to me, it's interesting. I, I always wondered how the reverse would have been um, if they if they reversed it and Cage. You know, you know what I mean. Like, like I, I love that Travolta gets to take on the crazy uh, Cage character because. In the beginning, Travolta is emotionally layered and invested in this idea. Obviously, his son was killed by Castor Troy, Nick Cage's character. He wants revenge and to take him down. And um, when he finally does or thinks he does, uh, they, they realize there's a bomb in the L.A. Convention Center. So they essentially switch his face to Nick Cage, send him into prison to talk to Castor Troy's brother, Pollux. And to me, the brilliance of that performance um, and you think about the the extremities that they go through are is when Travolta walks into that prison as I guess I guess you would say Travolta walks in, but he's still Castor Troy underneath. Yeah. And as he walks in and that that line, we you good looking uh, the water predicament. Line, there's, there's just so many moments where you can feel like he's like feeling out the character and having fun with it. Then he has to transition back to who Travolta is in the real world, meaning he can't be Castor Troy there, but he can be Castor Troy when he's around Travolta as Castor Troy. I mean, it's very, if you think about the depth and the layers of that performance, it's actually brilliant. Um, well, because you're dealing with a guy who is playing somebody else but has to map out when he can be himself and when he cannot be himself. And like, there's like this amazing sequence where uh, he's outside of his house and his wife, is it Joan? Um, uh, Joan Allen. Joan Allen. Joan Allen. Uh, who's amazing in the film, uh, is reminding Travolta that it's the it's the you know this is the birthday or the or the the day his son was killed. I can't remember which which uh, anniversary it is, but they're going to visit. The uh, the gravestone and Travolta, who's actually Castor Troy, doesn't know that this is a ritual that they do. They go visit their son's grave on this date. And like the the layer of emotion watching him capture that and gather it and not give himself away as Castor Troy is just amazing to watch. Like it, It's the subtleties of his performance. It's the way he moves himself. And I think as an actor, 
to be able to take on, think about that in your mind, that I am Caster Troy, but I'm on the outside, I am Sean Archer. That's insane. Like, that well, is a but, really crazy, uh, uh, in, uh, very layered thing emotionally that he captured that I thought was perfect. It was amazing. And I'll tell you where I think Face Off won the battle, which is in casting two actors who have very distinct, recognizable acting styles. Yeah. Because if it's not Travolta and Nick Cage, like, let's say they remade Face Off today and it was Jai Courtney and Thomas Jane. Right. When they switch places, you'd still be like, oh, you're both still boring. Right. (laughs) But you can let Travolta do crazy Nick Cage and you have to have Nick Cage do subdued and tortured John Travolta. Yeah. And it's brilliant. And you got to do a remake of Face Off, but have it be about like who could just be nicer and have it be Paul Rudd and Tom Hanks. And they switch faces <laughs> just to see who could like have like a nice off, just to be but like they could call be it, the yeah, nice off. They nice, call it nice off. Yeah. <laughs> but that would, that would be amazing. I mean, that, I, I was going to do in the face thing. They just stroke each other's yeah. cheek. Yeah, yeah. I so mean, nice. they, you got to think so about nice. it. I just You're very good it. looking. Woo wee! You're good looking. Yeah. <laughs> I also I'm looking in a mirror, but better. But better, yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting, by the way, if if you go back and you watch that film and you to me, like that film works on every level. I think emotionally it works. I think they do a really good job with the emotional tie-in of what happens with Sean Archer's son. Um, as ridiculous as the movie is, it still feels ingrounded. And and also if you look at it now, we're in we're what year did the movie come out? Ninety seven? The technology in that film still holds up. Like it looks like it's something that could really have been done. It doesn't seem that far off, uh, and I find that interesting. But you got to think about the depth. It's pretty far off, though. It's, it's far, far off, off, but they make it feel great. But but do you remember the scene when Travolta first goes in to get the surgery, and he's questioning? Yeah. He's questioning that why he's going to do this. I mean, yeah, that performance should not be that good. In a movie like no, that. No, and it is. It's tremendous. It's brilliant. All right. Yeah. Jake, you get to go next. Uh, I chose Pulp Fiction. Uh, uh, it's I just, chose Pulp Fiction yeah. also. Well, then let's, let's do this together. I mean, it's just okay. like, it's it's seismic in the world of pop culture. There, yes. you know, there are things that you can do as a person that someone will respond and be like, oh, you're like Travolta in Pulp Fiction. You know, like you can dress a certain way or act a certain way or, or order a fast food burger a certain way. And people right. will go, oh, you're, you know, you're like, Travolta and Pulp Fiction. You can dance a certain way. Uh, I mean, it was literally Kevin's first dance at his wedding. Um, and, and not only is it seismic in Pulp Fiction, where a quarter of a century later, it's still relevant. And if you replicate it, it's still cool. It's not dated at all. It was enough to um, bring back a man's career. And not just bring back his career, but bring back his career and just catapult him to a level that I'm not even sure he had been at before. I mean, like mid to late 90s Travolta. I mean, I'd argue outside of, let's say, Tom Hanks and Jim Carrey, Travolta had the best 90s. I mean, just hit oh, after yeah. hit. So did Cage, hit. though. Cage was, and Travolta were like the king of the 90s. Yeah. Oh, Ca- Jim Carrey was yeah. Jim I, Carrey, yeah. huge. I still say Tom. I think Tom Hanks had the best 90s. But, yeah, that's a good, um, he had a good But season. I mean, just everything about that. I mean, not only, and not just that, forget the impact it had on pop culture, forget the, ha- the impact it had on his career. It's an amazing freaking performance. It's just a great performance. I mean, like, because if you think about it, he's not a good guy. Vincent Vega is not a good person. He is, he's right. a heroin addict. He kills people on purpose. I mean, it is, I mean, he's, he, he's, he does bad things. But I, whenever I think of like great characters I'd love to hang out with, 
Vincent Vega's up there. I'd love to have a Is beer. Really? I'd love to have a beer at a at a, at a McDonald's with uh, with Vincent Vega. <laughs> I mean, I tried so hard not to pick Pulp Fiction. So as did I. I. Really, as did I. I made every argument in the book I could for. I almost got there with Greece. Like I would have given it to him for Greece, um, which I still think. And, and I wanted to give it to him for Greece because Greece also feels much more like his movie. Whereas Pulp Fiction, you can almost argue it it belongs to almost all of the people in the ensemble just right. as much. But for exactly the reason that Jake just mentioned, like you don't have most of the movies that we love Travolta for, whether it's Get Shorty uh, or Face Off or Broken Arrow or Primary Colors or all these films, if Pulp Fiction doesn't happen. Because that dude was a straight up joke before that movie happened. I don't know. You guys don't remember, I'm sure. But he was lost in those Look Who's Talking movies. Uh, he made Two of a Kind with Olivia Newton-John. That movie, Perfect, where he's the reporter for Rolling Stone investigating the uh, aerobics classes. That stuff was garbage. I mean, just garbage. He made bad, bad decisions. And Pulp Fiction, when that movie came out, the, a driving narrative that's not as much the narrative anymore but a huge part of it was, okay, who is this new director? Who is this? But a the, the biggest story of that was, holy cow, look at Travolta. He's suddenly back. That, that was the big story when he came back because everybody thought he was kind of flushing his talent away after Saturday Night Fever and Grease. And so then he gets all of these opportunities and makes the most of them. And so to celebrate John Travolta for hashtag John Travolta Bend, A, Pulp Fiction's probably, I'm with you guys in the fact that it's, Easily one of the top ten movies ever made. Probably one of the top five. You could argue Kevin, that Pulp Fiction is the greatest well, movie ever made. I mean, you could actually sit down. You say that, and I, I don't think that's ludicrous. I do understand yeah, If someone that, said that, that to me, like, at a bar, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Like, maybe it's I, not my absolute number one, but yeah, I'd go, I'm not going to yeah. fight you on it. Like, right, I do right. genuinely think that all movie reviewing is opinion. But I do think that you could sit down and actually write a paper or have a legitimate discussion about Pulp Fiction being the greatest movie ever made. And I think that it would be a discussion that would be met with a lot of agreeance. Uh, well, I, I, you, I, you know, the I, critique I, is when people say stuff like that, they're like, oh, well, you just don't know film history. Like, you, your, your knowledge only goes back as far as the 90s. But that shouldn't count against the fact that the movie is as good as it is. No, and Listen, I, we, I would argue that that the best movie Travolta's ever been a part of is Pulp Fiction. I, there's there's zero, zero sure. question there. I just think his performance in Face Off is my favorite. Personally. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's what this yeah. is. And again, we get around to which one will like we would do rewatchability all the time. Pulp Fiction has a tremendous rewatchability. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those films where if it's ever on a, one of the like IFC or some such channel, because it's never going to show up. I'm like, imagine Pulp Fiction. We literally TNT. put it on while we were killing time, waiting for Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yes, hey guys, did. remember yeah. that time we remember that time we interviewed Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Travolta, by the way, Travolta said that Pulp Fiction wasn't tested. They didn't test it with all, test audiences. He, no. Did it just go to Cannes? I think it that first was it. Play can? I, I, I mean, I, I, all I know is that that movie was not tested. He said, "Fanatic and Pulp Fiction movies were not tested." Oh, that's amazing. All right, audience picks for Travolta Blend. Mac Rowden, Cinema Blend's own Mac Rowden. A wide range, shorty. by the way. Like I felt like he yeah. saw a wide range. Well, again, with his career, yeah. I mean, it's just there's so many. He said, uh, "Get Shorty, Get Shorty." He's so good. Shirley Palmer, also. Yeah, that's a great character for him. Um, with Pulp Fiction, Primary Colors, his honorable mentions. KDP's mom. So KDP, regular player in the Roblin community, his mom is apparently now chiming in. Also, uh, Urban Cowboy. 
Mark Stout, who we've mentioned on the show before, Kalina, Robert Shivery, and many, many others said Pulp Fiction, and Ava Malik says Face Off. So, a lot of the heavy hitters. My mom's favorite would be Urban. She loves Urban Cowboy. Well, that's right up her alley. Yeah. That, I could see Jan throwing that yeah. on the well, VCR. Well, there's a shot uh, in the suburbs night. of Houston, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, Travolta back in his prime in those early 70s, too. Or late 70s, I guess that would be. All right. For next week, Gabe has selected hashtag biopic blend. So we're going to choose biopic? our best or favorite biopic. 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 Biopic? Biopic. Uh, biopic? I never even heard they called when you said bio, <laughs> bio when you said biopic, biopic I said do I not know what you're bi- talking about bi- biopic biopic it's bio it's not a medical procedure it's not dude biopic it's, it's like not a Polish show it's like biodome biography yeah. picture biopic it's not like biodome it's not, it's not biopic. It's biopic it's definitely not biopic it's biography picture it's biopic <laughs> here's the thing we joke around on the show yeah. a lot. Yeah. I actually did not know what you meant when you just I said it. I because you I just made up a word. I, I thought maybe there was some random film reference that I right. was like not latching on to when you said no, biopic. I literally, I literally have always and will continue to call it a biopic. Well, you're the same uh, guy well, that also thinks Kill Bill's two movies, so you're so used now, to it. Yeah, now we need to interview Tarantino uh, next yeah, time he does a bio, when if he does a biopic. Default answer. Yeah. I, so, so if we get Tom Hanks for uh, the Mr. Rogers movie, is that our big question? Is it biopic yeah. or biopic? That leave, or that, that's a great icebreaker. Or why is Sean wrong about Pol- about Forrest Gump? Those, those, way, those two are great. By the way, um, tell me why I'm we, wrong. We might not get Tom Hanks in Toronto because uh, we can't get him in Toronto, obviously. But it's been hinted to me that we might be able to get him at a junket. That's been don't, suggested. Don't, do, don't, don't maybe do I shouldn't say. Maybe I shouldn't don't say that out loud. <laughs> that's like tempting fate. But I'm just saying. It's all on the same way. All right. So next week, hashtag biopic. Uh, and we will discuss is. our favorite biopics. Uh, so spell it out for the audience. Hashtag B-I-O-P-I-C-B-L-E-N-D. Or, of course, you can go to uh, Twitter and you can tell us uh, there using that hashtag. You can also email us, uh, realblend at cinemablend.com. That is R-E-E-L-B-L-E-N-D. Um, this was number 81. We're coming up on number 100, which is incredible to me. I did the math, and by the end of this year, I believe, uh, we'll be at episode number 100. I'm trying to plan something really fun for number 100. Gabe is thwarting me uh, at every turn, but that's okay. We'll keep we'll keep pushing on. We'll do our best. We're going to make it special for you blunders you out there. You know we're all grown-ass men. If we all want to get together, we can do it without Gabe's permission. Gabe, is that okay? <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> Gabe, are we allowed to do that? All right, so next week, um, and we're getting closer and closer to the Toronto International Film Festival, where I'm hoping that we're all able to record an episode as well together, but either way, a lot of really good movies on the way. So until next week, you guys can find us, again, at Real Blend. Uh, Kevin is at Kevin underscore McCarthy. Jake is at at Jake's Takes. I am at Sean underscore O'Connell. Head over to the iTunes Leave us a review. Uh, guys have been really great about that lately. We've been getting some really amazing feedback. Um, people have been finding us also and sending us reviews via the emails. A uh, guy reached out like direct message on Instagram too. We're, we want to hear from you guys however way you want to find us. We will be back here next week for episode number 82. We're getting closer and closer to having music at the top of the show. <laughs> I promise you it's something we're working on. But until then... Yeah, my Twitter name is Kevin McCarthy TV and Dunkirk. Wait, did I not say that? You said Kevin underscore McCarthy. I don't really care. I was just messing around. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine, though. I think it's funny. Such a failure. No, it's fine. I just don't want people to tweet whoever that person is. I said Jake's from from Charlotte. I said your underscore. Good Lord. What a mess.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.